welcome to the heavy hole. I'm Tom. And I'm Big Will, a.k.a. Uncle Buck. And The Communion was a legendary Long Island band that was around from 2002 to 2018. That's 16 years. I did the math so you don't have to. And tonight we're joined by their singer, Nick Cassiopo. How you doing, Nick? I'm okay. Thank you. Wow, you rolled right in, dude. I'm, I'm telling you, man. I'm boy. so not comfortable being called a legend. All right, well, <laughs> we'll get we'll get used to it because you now you're on the throne here, man. You of the what the three grind bands from Long Island of the last like 15 years. Yeah, but it's all about timing, and you were a little too soon, so that makes you an OG. Yeah, way too soon. <laughs> yeah, man, you you were right before that power violence uh, resurgence of 2012, man, when all the kids got into it. I mean, well, like, just jump, jumping off the bat, there's a lot to get into here, man, with the communion. There's a lot of history, a lot of things maybe people don't know. Tom, well, that's true, but... Pretty much everyone, because no one knows who we were. <laughs> um, let's uh, let's break things down before we get into the communion, Yeah, we've got a lot yeah. to talk about. So right. how was your week? <sighs> Take a deep breath, Will. <laughs> I was just excited, because I nailed that intro. You did, and I'm going to keep it. All right. Uh, Thank you. My week, uh, you know, a lot of work, man. Over the weekend, I went fishing. Didn't catch anything, but I went fishing down there at uh, Comset State Park off of Huntington uh, with uh, with the old man, with my father there. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful park. Yeah. Uh, wore a suffocation shirt. <laughs> represented. Um, did a bunch of yard work, man. That's it. Not much going on this weekend for your boy, man. I, you know, didn't catch any fish, but I got a lot done, man. Did some yard work, some cleaning, man, you know, and I, and I got ready for this podcast. That's all she wrote, man. Justin's not joining us, our permanent guest. Mm-hmm. Just busy. He's not, the, he's not the guy that was uh, shitting on none so vile, was he? Yeah. yeah that's yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> you wanted yeah. him to be here, didn't you? Not really, but I'm, 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 I'm curious. I want, I'm, I'm curious at the thought process what? behind all that, whatever that it. was. Oh, man. Well, I'm sorry that you guys aren't going to get to have a meeting of the minds tonight, man. But tr- trust me, I tried, in, I tried in vain to figure that thought process out. I'm sure he's out, a doll. Man. <laughs> I'm sure he's a doll. Great. No one's perfect, you know? No, of course not. Great guy. Big, big shout to I've Justin. I've got plenty of questionable tastes. In yeah. my car right now. Yeah, but he just straight shit all over Lord Worm and all Lord Worm's face. I, I don't let. I don't want to get tight right now. No, right? no. Go listen to the Slaw and yeah. Order episode if uh, you want to know what we're talking about. Yeah, the, the Slaw and Order episode uh, is uh, the reference episode for this conversation where we're talking tons of shit about Justin. Shout out to, shout out to Big J Wolf out there. <laughs> yeah, so Nick, uh, before we get into uh, community, how's your week going? What's going on? It's always bad. I spent the weekend with the new Bloody Minded album, and uh, I don't know if you guys know who they are. I do not elaborate. They were uh, they're a like power electronics band. They've been around since the early, like the mid '90s, kind of that first wave of American power electronics. Uh, they and uh, the new album is just insane. It's really good. They're they, they're a good introduction to power electronics because they're more like a band. There's like five people in there, and they perform more like a band. Hmm. And they, you know the vocals are in, are intelligible. And so yeah, I've been listening to that album. Uh, you might know. I don't know if you know because Mark Solitroff, he's the vocalist and the lyricist. In the 90s, he had a zine called The Rape of Angels. That was his, like, death metal zine that he had. Not pulling any punches with that name. <laughs> yeah, no, no, it rings a bell. I, I don't know that I have an issue or that I, I have ever read it, but wow, that's interesting. Man. It's getting. He's actually going to, supposedly his label, Bloodlust, they're actually collecting all the issues of it into one volume okay. later this year. So. Yeah, I see here and there um, little the things are popping up. Old zines are getting kind of like anthology uh, editions printed and stuff like that. That's it's, great, yeah. Yeah, I, I've been meaning to, maybe one day I'll just get around to, to scanning them. I have so many zines uh, at the house. Just Coroner's Report and Grimoire of Exalted Deeds, Mortal Coil Zine, all these old zines. Yeah. Just a box full of them collecting dust. They sit there, so it's yeah. it's cool if uh, 
you know, dude is collecting a bunch of them and that well, that yeah, they already yeah. they you know a few years ago they were collecting all the punk zines and hardcore zines. Now they got to move to the '90s metal and yeah, that that old school like early '90s death metal is a hot commodity right now, man. Mm. Well, if, it's retro now. It's vintage. It, yeah, if I had a if I had like a time machine, I'd go back in time and I'd buy like a whole bunch of copies of Entomb's first demo or something. You know, put my nephew through college. <laughs> but uh, all right, so. I mean, Nick, we brought you down here, man. Uh, everybody had a good week. I got a tan. Um, let's let's talk about you, and let's talk about where you're from. You're originally from Long Island, right? Yeah, born and raised. Like like 90% of our guests. Mm-hmm. What yeah. part of Long Island are you from? I live in Wantaw, New York. It's in Nassau County. It's right it's the, right by Jones Beach. Okay. I'm like, and it's in, it's in between Belmore and Seaford. Okay, and, and like growing up in, like in, in your family, is music in the family... Rock and roll. Anything? I mean, you know, I, I, my dad was in a band when he was a kid. I guess he played, you know, he like played keyboards or something, but not not really. I mean, my brother plays. My brother played guitar. You know, he plays guitar, and but not really. What catches you? When when does it catch you? Rock, metal, like what? what? Oh, jeez. When I was like, I think when I, probably when I was like eleven or twelve is when I started watching MTV, and the stuff they were programming at the time was shit like Tool, Nine Inch Nails, Smashing mm-hmm. Pumpkins. His head, all this kind of gloomy stuff. That was, I don't know for some reason I liked it because I, I guess I just didn't, I didn't like, I didn't have a lot of friends. I didn't get along with a lot of people, so for some reason that stuff spoke to me. They played like Danzig was the big one though. Danzig was like the first time like the whole package of a, of a band really got me, you know, because yeah. he had the whole comic book thing going. And Mother, that, yeah, that this, cassette, it was just yeah. also appealed to me that this like buff, beautiful rock guy had like a comic book company and he published all these like gory porno books and I was like oh, I like that stuff. And then you go down the Danzig wormhole and you find out about the Misfits Yeah, you find out about Misfits, Sam Hain and then you spin yeah. off into other like death rock and goth music and that's always, that's that's you know, stuff like Christian Death and Bauhaus and I like all that stuff. So more of like I mean that's, like not to box things in but that's usually labeled under like goth Oh yeah, yeah of course. That that sort of scene. So was did you ever go to the Witches Brew? That was the club out there in Nassau County, right? I've heard of it. I was you know I was an indoor kid. <laughs> yeah, I hear you, man. I was I only went there. I was dragged there once. Uh, my teenage years, man. Not my not my type of place so much, man. But yeah, if you're uh, over thirty and you have a girlfriend who drags you there, think about that. <laughs> think about the relationship. Over thirty and a girlfriend? What are you? <laughs> you're not death metal. <laughs> what? Oh yeah, I forgot. What is happening? Uh, so I mean, well. Talk a little bit about about you know growing up in your town, uh, being like a kind of like a metal person, someone who's into like you know the kind of different music uh, and I'd, stuff like I that. I guess I I was more like comic. I was more of a comic book nerd when mm-hmm. I was in like middle school. Yeah. And, but I liked you know kind of the dark the stuff that was at the big at the time was like Vertigo was starting up Vertigo from DC and they were doing a lot of moody weird books. Yeah. Because yeah. I was getting out. I was getting kind of like out of the superhero stuff and I was interested in more. I was more into horror movies. What about Lobo? I loved Lobo. Yeah, Lobo, I was, the I loved, last you know, Zarnian. Simon, Simon Beisley's artwork. Oh, my God. Yeah, Simon Beisley. I really wanted to be like a comic book artist or a visual artist sometimes, but I just couldn't master the basics. Mm-hmm. So that's why I switched over to writing, because I could write the stuff down and be like, oh, that's kind of what's what's in there, you know, what's in my head. So, so writing uh, comes before singing in bands and musical aspirations? Yes, absolutely. Okay, yeah, because I wanted to talk to, uh, talk to you a little bit about your lyrics. I had a few questions about lyrics and song titles later on, absolutely. man, because you, you definitely come out of left field with uh, some of the stuff you write. Yeah, I try to. It's one of the unique uh, qualities of the communion. Um, well, like, what what did you have, like, lyrics in mind? Were you always aspiring to be the singer of a band, or that just... Like, like yeah, pr- I mean, pretty much. I had, yeah, pr- yeah, pretty much. I was, uh, mm-hmm. So, so you and Lee founded the band, right? 
No, this is uh, the band was founded in like 2002, 2003 by Lee and Billy. Lee and Billy, okay. Around that time, I was in a, I was in a, my uh, my band from when I was in high school, Force Bled. They were kind of we were kind of falling apart. You know, I, I joined that band when I was 16 in 1999, and it lasted until I was like 20 in 2003. Okay, I'm so, sorry, I didn't even realize that. You want well, to talk we about nev- that? Well, yeah, Force Bled was uh, it was kind of like it started out as like early Fear Factory kind of shit, but. You know, that was when we were 16. Yeah. And then we started, by the time we were in our early 20s, like, our guitar player, Mike Serino, he would go on to be in a, a band called Diminishing Returns. They were, like, a screamo kind of band. And he was into that stuff. He was into, like, Poison the Well, From Autumn to Ashes. Our drummer, Jeremy Nissenbaum, he would go on to be in, like, Perpetual Suffering, Cyanide Breed, yeah. uh, Lecherous Nocturne. Currently, he's in a band called Zoth from Seattle. Yeah, I know Jeremy. Yeah, excellent, excellent drummer, excellent person. Great, great guy. Uh, Jeremy, shout out to Jeremy. Just if he should happen, he to hear definitely this. hit me to like some of these more obscure like gore guts, and yeah. he was into that stuff when he was like fifteen. Yeah, big friend of Artificial Brain, um, and I know, I know he's, I, I know him actually uh, through the Artificial Brain guys and that scene out in Valley. Well, that's Street. how I met uh, Sam because yeah. yeah. Jeremy and I, after Force Blood ended, we briefly, very briefly, had a band called Pan's Ram, and Sam kind of tried out to be our bass player. Uh-huh. But the band, like the guitar player, like went out after two months, and we like never saw him again. And Carl Panzram, the serial killer. That's, that's right. Okay, I right. see. I know my stuff, mm-hmm. man. <laughs> there and uh, edgy or so. <laughs> hey, man, it was the '90s, right, man? You... No, it was 2003. I was like an edgy 20 year old, you know. And we're just three dudes in the basement, so we should know some of these. Things. I did yeah. book reports. <laughs> I did book reports about American Psycho and edgy. Say it's, <laughs> some dudes in basements kill people. Some dudes in basements write about people that kill people. So uh, yeah, anyway, that so that band and Force Blood ended in like 2003. We never really recorded anything. We could, just couldn't get our shit together. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I was looking for something else, you know. At the time, I was big into, I was really big into Willow Tip Records at that time because they were just like firing from like 1999 to like 2005. Yeah, Willow Tip was like my favorite label. Yeah, like Circle of Dead Children, Goat's Blood, Watchmaker, Commit Suicide, Commit right. Suicide. Synth- I fucking loved Commit Suicide. Classic uh, Commit Suicide, the synthetics album. Uh, yeah. yeah, I loved, I loved that band. So I was looking for something like that, and then uh, you know I put the feelers out there, and I get an email from this gentleman by the name of Leo Tamari. And he's got. He's like, well, we're. I, I got a band called The Communion. Our drummer is also the vocalist, but we want to get like a front person. So I was like, all right, send me the demo. The first demo was Legitimate Underground, and that was recorded, I guess, in 2004, 2003. Okay. And the lineup for that was Lee, Billy Grudy on guitar, and Joe Dugan was the drummer, the vocalist, and the bass player on that demo. So they sent me that, and I, I loved it right away. It sounded like kind of like Buzz Oven meets Dark Throne on that first thing. And I was like, this, I can get behind this, man. This is def-. So I, I'm like, okay, where do you guys practice? And they were like, Joe's Garage and Massapequa, where I was like, oh, shit. My old band, Force Blood, played there a couple of times. So I met up with them, and, you know, we hit it off right away. They showed me the newer stuff they were working on at that time, which was like, they were already bringing in like the Soylent Green element and disassociate and Rorschach and all this like really unusual stuff and I was like oh fuck yeah this is where I, this is this is it right here yeah uh, yeah the communion always had a, a lot of strange elements coming together kind of like a like you said, like that sludgy metal, um, but combined with maybe grindcore and power violence, but all with a really dark aura, all with like a really disturbing, almost like a black metalish vibe. Maybe that's we all love. Yeah, we all love that stuff. We were big into like we love like a lot. We really liked a lot of like French black metal bands because they were something about them was a little more like vicious and. Is the co- I guess the combination of being from France and being like, oh, we <laughs> but we also want to like kill. You. 
A lot, there's a lot of French, French culture I've always been kind of drawn to, like French literature and French music and films. What influence has that played over the years on the communion? Lyrically, artistically, like, well, like French, like the there was a wave of there was a wave of films in like the late nineties for the new French extremity, and it was stuff like Gaspar Noe and uh, Claire Denis was her name, and also like a lot of French decadent authors and people like George Bataille, Antonin Artaud. I was a big you know, surrealism. Okay, was a big influence. Wow, so, uh, this is all kind of new territory for me. Yeah, I know it's got nothing to do. With, this is a music podcast, and I'm going to like start talking about like. Oh no, not like oh, that. I mean, really this is it's, it's relevant to your music <laughs> no, to course. the to the communion. No, I'm just uh, listening to balls. I I uh, yeah the the, um, the Marquis de Sade is probably the only French author. I, I well, that I, was a, I, yeah, of course yeah. he's a, you know, he's a big one too. My, right. my grandmother actually my grandmother actually had like the first English the first English edition of translation the first English translation of 120 Days of Sodom. Wow. But I think my dad like sold it. I I saw that I saw the movie uh, made about that Sallow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sallow's of the yeah, so I love that Cinema Arts Center uh, many years ago. A lot of people walked out. <laughs> I have yeah. the I have the yeah, I have the, the DVD for that. Yeah, you ever see that? No, no. The only French movie I've seen is Ratatouille. Is the movie fr- <laughs> very different? There's like a big French house in the kitchen in Sallow too, though, right? There's a lot of a lot yeah. Of I believe all ro- well, those uh, Pasolini directed that. He was Italian. Okay, it was but it's Italian you know it, they were ba- yeah he. He transport instead of being in in Desaad's novel, they're French libertines. In uh, Pasolini's film, they're Italian fascists. He transported it to like World War Two. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's been a while. That movie stuck with me for a few days after I saw it. It's one of those. Yeah. Not to skip ahead, but that's something I wanted to ask you too. Is that um, I I know you have a, a blog uh, that you update, and, and you have a social media presence, and a lot of time you talk about uh, film, and you talk mm-hmm. about uh, different aspects of film and literature and art besides grindcore and death metal and right. our common ground. And uh, I just like I asked you, asked you before what influence that had on the communion. Like, what what about film in general? Not just uh, you know the, the the French culture, but like exploitation movies or. Um, I don't want to say horror movies because I feel like we're, we're, we're getting into an area of film. You can that, say horror movies. I well, love horror movies. Well, because when I say horror movies, I'm thinking like Friday the 13th, zombie movies, but we're talking more about like what people might refer to as like torture porn, exploitation movies, stuff like that. Like really, really extreme movies, right? Right, yeah. What Like what are some movies that you think have played an influence in the communion, maybe even earlier on? One of my, one of my favorite ones was, uh, was a Japanese director, Shin, uh, Shinya Sukamoto, and he did a film, Tetsuo the Iron Man is probably his most well-known film. But uh, yeah, like the, the communion song Mecha Harpalation, I kind of was loosely inspired by Tetsuo because it's about a guy who, you know, is being like kind of slowly turned into a machine. Hmm. So I guess like the I, I never wanted to be like obvious about the film. I don't want everyone to be like mortician where it's like very like, yeah, okay. This is <laughs> no, a song no, about yeah, Texas yeah. Chains Massacre. I wanted to kind of, I would like be more mysterious about it and more, not as kind of morph it until it's something mm-hmm. of my, more my own and part of our own like universe I guess just use it as like inspiration yeah. and it stops yeah. there or, or we like merge things I'm a, I, yeah, the lyrics were also a big thing was William Burroughs with the cut up method where he would take like different all these different sources and different texts and, and put them together until you create something completely mm-hmm. alien that was that's real hard to read man <laughs> so this uh, oh man which one I Make read? It lunch? I read like half of Make It a Lunch, and I just couldn't do it anymore. Well, it's not—it's not a book that you are, you don't necessarily have to read it like cover to cover. You kind of like can you pick it up and kind of read whatever section you like. Yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to 
trying to think so of the I have the a lot of books ones. like that that I just that are on my shelf. They got little bookmarks in them. They're going to take me years. I'll never finish them. But you know, right? I mean, maybe I'm just uh, grasping here. But is there a parallel there for that style of cutting up lots of different influences until they become something greater um, than just the parts? With the way the Communion wrote music Absolutely. and the, the lyrics, and the, you know, because there's like the Southern sludge influence, the grindcore, the well, black metal. Yeah, exactly. Because I saw what they were doing with the music, and I wanted to. And I'm like, I got to approach the lyrics with the same amount of like care mm-hmm. and the same amount of imagination that they're approaching the music with. You know, I didn't want to just write generic metal lyrics or generic hardcore lyrics, or you know, I want to yeah. write political stuff. Or and and is this uh, the communion is Lee's brainchild? Pretty much, yeah. And, and it was Lee and Lee and Billy together, mm-hmm. really. And like from from the go, is that his uh, his like kind of mission with the band is is to to, to meld a lot of different styles under this, this kind of so. yeah. I think initially, I mean, he never really it wasn't really like a plan necessarily. Yeah. I mean, we never thought we would even leave Joe's garage. We thought we would just we never had like big aspirations. It was just yeah. we like to do it. We just enjoy each other's company. And, but yeah, he wanted to. You know, it's like he like we like. If we figured like one day, it's like you know, I like we like all these different kinds of music, and why, why don't we just if we feel like playing a. A black metal riff, play a black metal riff. Yeah. Play a doom riff, play a doom riff. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and. Because, you know, Soylent Green was like our, probably our number one influence, and they do that. Mm -hmm. Way better than we did. And so now you guys are in like 2005. Right. You you join the band and you record the uh, well played Illuminati demo. Yes. And Mike Hill records that? Yes, Mike Hill. Yeah, Mike Hill recorded that. I think he, I think Anodyne had just finished up or was about to finish up. He hadn't really started Tombs just yet. But uh, I I don't remember how we brokered that. It might have been between the drummer at the time, our drummer at the time, Corey Bonfuglio. He replaced Joe Dugan in early 2005, and uh, it might have been through him. He might have they might have knew him. They might have knew each other. I well, I was imagining not that I would know, but I was imagining just I knew Lee was very like kind of networked and he knew a lot it's of people in the local too. scene. Yeah. You know, he was, you know, you know, very approachable and very. Yeah. Lee was at a lot of shows. He knew a lot of people. You know, I don't know. But. Oh yeah, totally. So what was it like working with Mike Hill back then? Uh, you know, I mean, that, that's, he was that's totally, interesting. He was totally relaxed. He, yeah. he was, I think it was like, we didn't really put any pressure on him. We were just, I think he thought it was like fun because we were just these like sloppy. <laughs> we were like, at that point, we were like borderline noise core. Yeah. Like Lee described us as sore throat trying to be Soylent Green. And he meant that as an insult, but I'm like, dude, I've listened to that fucking band like, in a second. So. It's it's not a bad uh, description of that. I still, band. I still yeah. use that as a description, even though the later yeah. stuff is not entirely accurate, but I still like I still like it as a description more than anything else. And yeah, and I, I did want to get into the difference between later era communion and earlier uh, era absolutely. communion, because there is a difference. Yeah, but, there um, but, I mean, while we're talking about that, the, and, and then the next year you have the uh, Nihilism is for Lovers. Yeah, those sessions. Uh, demo, yeah. and that was again recorded by Mike Hill? Yeah, that was recorded by Mike Hill. It was in a, we had a new practice space at that time in Farmingdale that we shared with Death Cycle, Celebrity Murders. That was Artie Philly from, you know, Artie, that was Artie Philly's band from. Artie Philly from uh, the band Millhouse. Millhouse, and later he was in Indecision. Yeah, and, yeah, the uh, bands that we should probably cover on another episode. Yeah. Absolutely. Millhouse. So sh- our drummer at the time was Anthony Corallo, who was, he was just out of high school. He was in Sick of Talk, Disnial. Yeah, yeah, and he was nasty. We was, lo- yeah, we loved Disnial, and Sick of Talk was great. Was he the guy that was also like uh, an MMA fighter or something, or, or am I off base here? No, no MMA fighters. Okay, there's a drummer from New York that was in grindcore bands for a while in the early 2000s. That was some sort of no, I'm a, yeah, no, I'm tough a guy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm off base here, man. I, I I'm trying to be the Joe Rogan of death metal over here. I'm talking <laughs> about MMA. It's crazy. All right, 
Uh, so, so getting back, I mean, you mentioned that you switched drummers a few times. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's an understatement. How many drummers altogether until you find Joe, who would be the the final drummer? Well, who did I mention already? Joe, du- I mentioned Joe Dugan. I mentioned Corey. Between, and then there was briefly there was a drummer named Adam. He never recorded anything with us, and that was before Anthony. After Anthony, we had Jason Spence, who would who would go on to be in Shiroishi with uh, Kishore Hualbeck. Am I pronouncing his name? I'm not pronouncing his last name correctly, but. Yeah, shout out to Kishore. He does uh, artwork for Afterbirth. Yeah, and I was in a band with Kishore later called Crisis Actor, so mm-hmm. it's weird how all that looped around. Yeah. And then yeah. after Jason, we had a gentleman by the name of Scott Hall. Not not New World Order Scott Hall guy, but. And <laughs> then after Scott Hall, we get Joe. Mm-hmm. We get Joe Brands of 40. And that's our drummer until the end. And Joe was in Dark Side NYC. In, Some people might know him. Uh, he was in Dark Side NYC. He was in, I think, the first version of All Out War. He was like an early member of All Out War. Okay. He was in Marauder. The voluptuous horror of Karen Black, mm-hmm. which for some reason he liked to pimp that more than anything, and because I guess <laughs> I guess that was his most like successful thing that he did. They, yeah. they had like a lot of buzz in the '90s, but I liked him because he had played <laughs> drums on Simul Signals and Noise, which was my favorite Disassociate record, one of my yeah. favorite Grind records. So that was like I don't give a shit about Karen Black, bro. Like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Disassociate. Talk about Disassociate. And Joe was in the band for what, like the last nine years or last so? Last nine years. Yeah, yep. yeah. So he was like your longest running drummer. He was the right? he was the longest one. He was the you know he was like the perfect fit. Mm-hmm. But other than him, Anthony was like came really close. We really liked Anthony a lot. So all right, well, j- um, just not to skip too far ahead, let's talk about your first uh, couple of shows as the Communion. Okay, uh, <laughs> sure. Right, there's got to be some great, great memories start. there. Yeah, wh- where uh, were they? Where like local venues? Oh, uh, they were local venues. It was a group called In the Pit Productions. I remember. Oh, uh, Jay from Curbjaw. Jay from Curbjaw. Yeah, yes. they hooked us up yes. in the early days a lot. Shout out to Jay. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah. Bu- Buckshot Facelift and even Biolich. I imagine he probably booked a few times. Yeah, yeah. great, great people, great mm-hmm. dudes. And uh, the the early shows. Negative Reaction was like the first band yeah. that really like that was like sort of notable that actually gave us a lot of that gave us a lot of support and booked us. Mm-hmm. And I should mention that at the time we're talking about early two thousands Long Island. Besides Negative Reaction, there's not really any doomy sludgy. There's not there's really any... like fucking nothing, man. There's like it's, it's tough it's like, guy hardcore. It's the last vestiges of like late nineties like slam metal and tough guy stuff. And yeah. Just, we're just like hi, little communion. We had everyone, <laughs> uh, like whatever. So did you we guys? Like art. Mm-hmm. Well, did you have a, a fairly? Because I, I I consider your um, your frontman style uh, confrontational in a way, uh, and it's not always like the way I like. Like I'm I, I run into the crowd, I bump into people, but you're very confrontational in a way that you don't always give people the show that they might be looking for. I mean, I've seen you whip Thank yourself you. with your belt and. Kind of like it's almost like you want to off put people. Pretty much, yeah. Because I mean, like in my first band, I was like, I kind of struggled. Like, what kind of frontman do I do? I want to be like tough guy. Do I want to be sassy amateur comedian guy? <laughs> do I want to be bad guy wrestler? I just and I struggled with it. And then I'm just like, you know what? I'm I'm a fucking pervert, dude. So just be a pervert. <laughs> just make people uncomfortable. The John Waters of grindcore. Yeah, that's I. I that's better that than sword for you. Throat. Absolutely, I'm, absolutely. Awesome. It's my. You heard it here first, folks. One of my fan, one of my favorite people ever. Oh, it's great. Mm-hmm. So John was speaking again about not not necessarily explo- exploitation movies, but I. What, what would you call John Waters' genre, to, for lack of a better term? What's? I mean, I guess so. They were like midnight movies originally. He midnight kind of, movies, yeah, yeah. Which was really invented. The term midnight movie. It used to just be movies that they ran at midnight, weird. Yeah. But then, like when. 
Alejandro Jodorowsky did El Topo in the late 60s, and that was the first movie that was like, this is a midnight movie, where yeah. it was a genre. Do you think and Frank Henenlotter's films are midnight movies? Yes, I do. All right. I think they're, right. And they're wonderful. They're wonderful. <laughs> shout, shout to Frank Henenlotter, man. Uh, ho- hope to maybe have him on one day. We'll see. Um so, Frankenhooker is yeah, yeah, Fra- classic. Bad bio- Have you seen Bad Biology? Yes, I love Bad Biology. Oh boy, I watched it once, man. I watched I it in my old it. apartment. I had to make sure that the blinds were shut. None of my neighbors saw what I was it's watching. Like if, it's <laughs> like if you if you made a movie out of an agoraphobic nosebleed record or something. It's like <laughs> an, an agoraphobic split record with a porno grind band, maybe. Yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I mean, getting back, we're talking about early communion here. Um, playing live is that like from the go your your style your kind of confrontational style is that from just like playing with kind of like Long Island like Long Island bands that had a much different mentality and maybe weren't as accepting of what you were doing yeah I remember I think seeing like Vision of Disorder it wasn't even Vision of Disorder it was their Tim's shitty band after Vision of Disorder <laughs> Blood Simple yeah and yeah, he's yeah. just like yeah, what's up everybody I'm like dude no I think it, the thing was I one of my favorite bands was Oxbow Okay. Yeah. And Eugene Robinson, and Eugene Robinson's this like buff, like really handsome guy, and he you know, takes all his clothes off and sings in his underwear yeah. and all that. Yeah. So he looks good, but I'm like, that, yeah, but you look good. If I take, <laughs> I look like shit. So if I take my, if I'm down in my underwear, it's like gross, and I'm white and sweating. And, and so it makes you know, I probably have skid marks. I probably, you know. <laughs> so you did that? Yeah. If I was having a really bad night, I would do that. Wow. Like if I was having if if there was one time this was in 2006 where I guess I could talk about not 2006 2008 I guess I could talk about this now where I kind of used to run my mouth a little bit on like MySpace I was was a big fan of like one of my favorite writers was Jim Goad and he was kind of like he would always kind of like run his mouth and talk shit so I was kind of trying to be the Jim Goad of Grindcore but I say the wrong thing the wrong people and I I almost got like I almost got my ass kicked there was like a bunch of people like threatening to kick my ass and I just was like over over a MySpace comment, and I was like fucking over MySpace. And then when we played our set, I just took all my clothes off, and just my girlfriend at the time was like pulled, was pulling at my pants and dragging me during the set, and, <laughs> and it was yeah. wow theatrics. <laughs> yeah, what I mean, while we're on this topic, what are some other things that you might have done throughout the years, uh, in, in, in spontaneously, like on stage, that uh, have- uh, playing at MDF with an abscess on my face. Which I, against my, I was against my will. But, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and and later on, uh, the last few years, I, I see you whipping yourself with a belt once or twice. Yeah, I'm. You know, like I said, I'm a pervert, and I'm kind of. Are you? Oh well. Another thing I would do is if if any venue had like candles, I would okay. usually take that and just dump the wax on myself. And... Ever get into trouble with people from the venues? Not really. No. Yeah, Not really. All in the interest of uh, performance art. Not really. Yeah, I guess I, I never really like attacked people like i never went after if i i thought I, I, there was one time where like i think it was when we played with uh despise you and the Gruda grind and my ex-girlfriend who's also like one of my best friends she was in the audience and during our set i kind of grabbed her by the back of the head and screamed in her face and i th- <laughs> she you know you know she doesn't care she screamed right back at me but i'm sure there were some people like uh, he grabs women uh, yeah yeah, like, yeah. I, I wouldn't just grab i would consent is key here yeah I wouldn't yeah, just, yeah i wouldn't just grab random people yeah, I, I hear you. I hear you, man. Uh, so, talking about um, playing live, uh, another thing about when you guys start playing shows is Lee ends up booking a lot of the shows. Yeah, uh, or earlier yeah, on. Totally. Is that something out of necessity too? Because of the local scene here, and you guys are trying to stir up your own thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Lee just started doing that. He was just mm-hmm. talking to a lot of bands through our through our MySpace page, and he was just like, "Fuck it, I'll start booking the shows." And you know, that's it got better because we started playing with bands that were a little more our speed. Yeah, and that inspired us more, and inspired us to be better live and be a little more like not fuck around as much. And, well, it, it and was, we, and you know, people that I'm friends with to this day, you know, we start playing with Unmen and Bloodkit mm-hmm. and uh, Chainsaw to the Face and all these band, great bands from Jersey and Triac. We played with. You know, yep. A bunch of times. Absolutely, man. The early 2000s, uh, Lee Altamari was booking a lot of great shows. He booked shows at uh, a couple of Mr. Beery's. I remember the Rockstar Bar. In that Brooklyn. was his go to. Yeah. Because Rockstar Bar let us keep the money at the door. Which yeah. No other yeah. band does. A lot of great shows at the Rockstar Bar. And he also kind of had a crush on one of the bartenders. <laughs> she, was an absolute, she was an absolute sweetheart. And so, yeah. But we, you know, we, we genuinely did enjoy that place, even though the PA yeah. never fucking worked. And we'd have to call Rock, we'd have to call Rocco, rest in peace. Mm-hmm. Passed away. He passed away a few years ago. Okay, but he was. A, he would come out anyway. Great dude. Fixed the PA. Yeah, yeah. Uh, such a such a great place. A lot of good memories. They're right under the bridge there uh, in Brooklyn, man. And mm-hmm. um, uh, yeah, I remember Buckshot Facelift, and uh, even going with, going back to Biolich, uh, a lot of shows that Lee booked, um, and really just just tried to give uh, Buckshot Facelift experiencing a lot of the same problems that you guys did when we started out in the early two thousands, oh four, oh five, oh six. We were kind of like too metal for the hardcore scene. And like not serious enough for the metal scene, and like the nobody really wanted Buckshot around on Long Island. You know what I mean? Most most of our fan base was still like ten years old. <laughs> you know what I mean? So so like we enjoyed a nice resurgence in the last few years with some. Wasn't of the Andrew's kids, like ten years old? Andrew was thirteen years old when he joined Biolich. Fucking crazy, right? I mean, yeah, but um, yeah, Lee did a lot to to, to kind of like kickstart the local scene around here. Yeah, and man, totally. And at a time, because in the in the the early to mid '90s, there was a little bit of a, a East Coast. I don't know if you want to use the term power violence here. That's kind of a hot hot button term around here since the Mason well, interview. Uh, yeah, just throwing this out there. You're wearing a Reeking Cross shirt. Mm-hmm. Yes, I yeah. am. I just got it this weekend. You just sent me like a package of stuff. Mason, yeah. great dude. That's not like the term power violence. Yeah, yeah. So Mason, if you're I listening, don't give a shit. Cold <laughs> sorry, buddy. <laughs> I'm just trying to reference periods and movements of music here. But yeah, shout shout to Mason. The Reeking Cross shirt looks fresh. Here in the it studio, is, we'll try to keep new. the yeah. try to keep the pit bull hair off of it. Mm. Um, but uh, what was I saying again? The 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 power violence. Okay, so so in the in the um, mid '90s, there was like a little bit of an East Coast kind of power violence pre screamo movie. You had Millhouse, right. you had CR. I love uh, that. Oh yeah, I love all that. Yeah, stuff. there there was a little bit of a thing going on out here. But then by the 2000s, I mean it's it's hardcore. There's not really much going on. So you guys are kind of like right in the middle of that. And now there's this newer generation that really appreciates the term power violence and a lot of the old school grindcore and reveres that stuff. But you guys came along in the early 2000s when it was dry out here. And Lee really came, like a lot of these younger people. They probably went to some of their first shows uh, that were shows that Lee booked, you know. And even like you said, friends to this day. Um, the beginnings of the current like St. Vitus scene totally and yeah. um, the, the mm-hmm. you know a, a lot of what's going on out here now I feel like are in some of those shows that Lee booked and that other like the people from uh, Cat Bomb uh, you know oh, uh, yeah, Vanessa Cat and Bomb, Brian yeah. um, the you first know, Cat Bomb show I think that was Buckshot and Community. exactly you know there's just a, there, there's a was lot was that of, also the last Buckshot show for Cat Bomb because I know they had yeah yeah, well, I mean, we might as well just put it out. Yeah, Cat Bomb has Cat Bomb doesn't book shows anymore, right? They're, not really. Yeah, I think they're well. It does. <laughs> they're I not think gonna, I, I, they're not yeah. going to come back and let's book get, books. Let's get sh- let's sh- we'll get sh- 
will start shooting. I think Vanessa hates me. Oh, uh, I don't know. I think she thinks I'm a. She thinks I'm like a creep. So. Well, FBI guys, nobody's shooting anybody. We're talking about uh, verbal shots, like MCs take. First yeah. of all, I got allegedly mm, shooting, wrestling, uh, yeah, cornet kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, man. I, I know, I don't think Cat Bomb books anymore. If they do, they're probably not going to book Buckshot. They usually on their do one like one. Show I think they still do like one show. Yeah, they, they like, usually right do around like, MDF. They'll but book some I, stuff. I didn't hear about anything this year. Nah. MDF is this week. I don't know. I, I haven't talked to Brian in a while. Yeah. I don't know, man. Maybe they're taking a break, but um, it's tough, man. It's it's hard to like. I mean, they they did a lot in a short amount of time. They were well, they booked high profile shows too. Yeah, man. You know, they they, they they booked the international bands and the they bigger hooked, bands. They hooked us. Up, all kidding aside, like I think the world, I think the world is the cap on people, and they hooked mm-hmm. us up all the time. And no, absolutely, they hooked up um, artificial brain and afterbirth. Uh, they did have a moratorium on booking Buckshot Facelift uh, that mm. probably is still in effect <laughs> as long as any of them book shows. And it probably has something to do with uh, our drummer Fergus's uh, foul behavior at some point in the evening. But I mean, I don't shout know, to, man. Shout to Sal. Right, Sal is a breath. To me, Sal is a breath of fresh air. Yeah, he's he's just so Un- real. Oh, unpretentious. And he's, he's, he's him. You know, and it's great. Yeah, yeah. You're always just going to get 100% Sal, that's for sure. But, um... Uh, all right, so so uh, I was trying to make a sweet moment out of that, but you know we had we had, we had to go there. But but it, it, it was a sweet moment uh, <laughs> in sweet. many ways. So <laughs> you're doing just fine. So yeah. you guys, <laughs> so you guys, so Lee's booking shows, uh, bringing bands in from out of state that might not even play Long Island. Totally, uh, yeah. You know, like try really trying to bring grindcore. Or not I don't I don't want to even just keep it to grindcore and power violence. It's more just metal. Uh, at the time, Mike from El Diablo Productions was booking a show here or there, but there weren't a lot of like underground promoters doing what we do on Not Long Island, you know. So he kind of kind of filled a gap there. We um, were just in, we, we mostly just played Brooklyn for years. Yeah, yeah, and and this is also kind of at the at the very start of the Brooklyn thing. I mean, now now Brooklyn is like synonymous with live music and the hipster oh, totally, thing or yeah. whatever. But this is in the early two thousands. It wasn't like that. We kind of saw that creeping in. You there know what a, I mean? There was like a lot more venues. There was a it seemed like it was. It was. I don't know. I haven't been to Brooklyn since the last the last communion show, which mm-hmm. was in like which was like two years ago. So. Wow. All right. Not much is happening. Yeah. <laughs> um. All right. So I mean, you guys re- recorded the demos, and you guys also ended up doing splits. Um. Mm-hmm. I mean, just for the listeners, there's a lot you can get on the the communion band camp, and all your stuff Everything is available is, there. Everything's up there. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. I mean the the original demos that we're talking about, and it's it's almost like a like a, like a movie. Um. You know, to watch the history of the band unfold once you know, and hopefully once you know a little bit more about this, mm-hmm. and to see the sound evolve. They did splits with Transient, Dutch Don't Guts, know. The Kill. Bastard noise, which I know was kind of like a long fought. There was some problems, and eventually it came yeah. out. It was just, you know, I think stuff at the pressing plant. I were, that was more. I get, you'd have to talk to Ralph from Home Hotel about that. He, I mean, he probably it was, it probably hit him mm-hmm. harder than us, even because he's the one that had to put it out. And he was, you know, he felt all horrible about how long it took to wait, how long it took to come out. Yeah, and when I say problems, I didn't mean to imply that anybody um, that there was any like uh, shady business. No, or absolutely anything. Yeah, not. But, they they basically yeah. just held it hostage. The pressing plant basically yeah. held it hostage. So Ralph, you, usual... Ralph always kept us in the loop, and mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, big shout to Ralph. I've dealt with Ralph before, man. I actually uh, hope to get him on the podcast too. Oh, that'd eventually. be great. Yeah. Um, I was working uh, doing that split with the kill. How'd that go over? Because I I was listening to that today. I'm a huge. Uh, oh my god! Fan. Yeah, that was. I mean, I loved Kill from when I was in high school. Yeah, you know when I got into that was one of the beginnings of me getting into Australian grindcore because mm-hmm. I knew about Blood Duster. Yeah, but then I found out about like Damaged and Undenism and mm-hmm. Fuck I'm Dead and all that. Just <laughs> Captain Cleanoff. Captain Cleanoff, mm-hmm. like just, just a great yeah. fucking scene out there. And uh, Lee knew Lee started talking to the Kill guys, and I think he actually like mailed a guitar to them and. 
Uh, it was, <laughs> and I guess it was. Those were the last. Those were like two of the la- two of the three songs that were the last songs we recorded before they passed away. Mm-hmm. So it was, um, it was really great that we were able to get those songs onto like fucking solid, notable releases. Absolutely. <laughs> she agrees. Yeah, she agrees. And as you go through um, these splits, there's there's uh. The, the last recordings with Lee performing on them are kind of distributed between a few different split releases, right? Well, it was just the two. It was The Kill and Bastard Noise. Okay, and what about the split with The Unmen and I forget the other band? In the Shit. In the Shit. In the Shit. Okay. Yeah, that was... Uh, I, don't rem- I don't remember what we, were, what we sent them for that. <laughs> some of these like some of these are just like shitty like like recordings that yeah. we did and we were just... Yeah. The grindcore traditional style. Buckshot's done a few splits yeah, like yeah. that. We never got that Buckshot facelift, the communion split, man. But uh, I know that. Yeah. What are you gonna do? Maybe we'll do a Biolich the communion R.I.P. split seven inch one day, man. And we'll just we'll make one copy and bury it in the backyard. We ended up playing a couple of shows with the Kill in 2011, a year after we passed away. Mm-hmm. So that was great. We played in Jersey, the Meat Locker in Jersey, and then we played at Shea Stadium. Yeah, not, not, yeah. not the not the <laughs> Shea Stadium. For obviously. the listeners, yeah, there was a, a small venue in Brooklyn called Shea Stadium for a few years there. The biggest grindcore show yeah. ever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember we played uh, we played on the 10th anniversary of September 11th at Shea Stadium, mm. and I wanted to I wanted us to ha- I wanted our walkout music to be "I'm Going Down" by Mary J. Blige. Oh, but they ve- they ve- we we sanity prevailed. We opted against. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, nah, that wouldn't have been good, man. No. I would. It would have just been me, like laughing, and everybody being like, "Piece of shit, what is wrong?" <laughs> All right. So moving forward, it was a different time. 2011. It was a different time seven years ago or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was fresher in everyone's memory. What happened? People would have liked um, it. Uh, yeah, people, yeah, people, it would have gone over great. <laughs> uh, so, well, I mean, that's that's something they're talking about. Bands you've played with that are a little bit more prominent in the grindcore scene, because as you mentioned, Cat Bomb. Uh, did put you on a lot of those like um, touring bands coming oh, through yeah, the Brooklyn man. shows? They, they hooked it up. Definitely. What are some other bands that you managed to uh, to play with? Uh, well, we played with I hate playing with I hate God twice was something that was mm-hmm. that St. Vitus that was a really broker. Again, that was I think Cap Bomb had something to do with that, but it was also Dave uh, Dave Castillo from St. Vitus. Well, I know I've known Dave since middle school. Mm-hmm. We went to middle school together. Okay, and he works at St. Vitus. He's in like a couple of bands. He's in like Primitive Weapons now and White Widows Pact and. And he so he really hooked that up for us. And another one was Stark playing with Stark Weather. Okay, yeah. Because that was like our that was a band we like couldn't shut. We just irritated the shit out of everybody talking about how much we loved Stark Weather. And uh, oh, Jesus, who else? <laughs> yeah, so many. We played with playing with Macabre and Brutal Truth in two thousand eight. Mm. That was that was a big deal. Mm, macabre and Brutal Truth. That's and strong. also uh, some other Devourment was on it. Wow, Devourment right. and Malignancy were on it. Wow, so that's that's your guys, that's your speed, I think. Yeah, that's <laughs> hell of a yeah. lineup right there. Yeah, that's still, yeah, we were the first band, of course. That's the all of our listeners just woke up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and I'm just playing. I'm wearing a swan. I was wearing like a swan shirt, and I'm sure everyone was just like, <laughs> "What is that?" The artificial brain guys actually exposed me to the swans. Uh, I, I've heard I heard a lot of music for the first time in that artificial brain tour van over the years. Also, yeah, swans were well, because you know, because we we all loved Godflesh mm-hmm. and swans. Mm-hmm. You know, the early swan Godflesh was basically just pilfering those early. Swans records, yeah. That whole yeah. like post Godflesh industrial metal scene is actually big and big influence. You know, Dead World, Skin Chamber. Skin Chamber was actually from around here, I think. I, and, uh, I remember the name. Yeah, Spine Wrench was another one. Mm-hmm. Bile from Huntington. We've we've talked about on the podcast before. The more like industrial type of band. Remember them? 
They been from a, they were in the D. Snyder horror movie. They, they, they might have been. Land. They were yeah, a band called Bile. They they they're the only one because they sued the other. Yeah. Bile. Oh yeah, yeah. Bile. Yeah, I know Bile. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I don't know what they're what they're up to now. But um, they have like they like the they do a lot of like the body modification shit and like hanging chicks from you know hooks and stuff. Yeah, like they, suspension kind of stuff. Like the stuff you see in the parking lot outside of a tool show. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. To which I, I say, used to go. Cool. I used to go to fucking like fetish shit and everything because I like those kind of girls. But uh, I look like a t- I, you know, I come in there with my glasses and I'm wearing like I look like total like I look like a Weezer fan when I go out. So like, you don't uh, wear a trench coat though, right? No, I don't. Okay, you're fine. I do not wear a trench coat. No, uh, I mean not. like that. Yeah. You know, it's like the only way you could like make me look less metal is like if you stick me on stage with next to a bunch of long-haired metal-looking guys. Like that's <laughs> yeah, you know, like what artificial I, brain. Yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? Like I'm. Oh the, god, the commuting image was so fucking haphazard. It was just like you have one guy in a fucking baseball cap, another guy in jean shorts, one dude with dreads down to his ass, and. You know. <laughs> Speaking of Jimmy, yeah. when does Jimmy come into the band? Jimmy comes in. Uh, Dave Dave Gladding left in late 2007. Big shout to Dave Gladding. Dave, yeah, Dave yeah. was in the band. Yeah. He joined the band with me in 2004. Okay, and he was in the band for three years. And then Jimmy comes in in like 2007, 2008. And Jim, because I think they knew, Jimmy Lee and Billy knew him from Utopia, and I think they jammed with him in their earlier bands. Jimmy Lee and Billy had an earlier band called Parched mm-hmm. before, and I think he jammed with that. But, you know, Jimmy brought in, like, you know, brought, he really brought out the noise element, which is, like, something that Lee and I especially were really talking about, doing the noise thing more. Yeah. Because yeah. we were getting deep into, like, power electronics, like Death Pile and Bloody Minded and that kind of shit. So he brought that with him. He brought, you know, he came in with his bass and with his big, you know, suitcase full of pedals. Huh. And it just, you know, he, he also had ideas. And we well, liked, with, with we that. Jimmy very much. You know. With that sonic uh, influence of the noise, of the the actual noise and the different pedals and stuff like that, but there also comes with the, the genre power electronics, uh, kind of like re reinforcing that very dark image and lyrical and artistic. Yeah, it was the edge. kind of we. I mean, you know, a lot of bands had it. We wanted like a dark kind of mysterious thing, but we didn't want like a typical like metal kind of. We wanted more of the industrial like. Yeah, more of a perverse. You know, I'm a big fan of like yeah. I'm a big fan of like no wave music from the 1980s, which was like Lydia Lunch, Fetus, and I wanted to kind of bring that vibe to grindcore, grindcore music. I thought it was an interesting dichotomy. I wasn't seeing a lot of bands, mm-hmm. especially in this area, really doing that. Could you elaborate on no wave? That's something a little new to me. Oh, no wave. It was uh, it was in the early 80s, and it was just it was kind of like post punk. It was like the New York version of post punk music, uh-huh. which was like you know. The no way, probably no way bands were like Teenage Jesus and the Jerks. That was Lydia Lunch's first band, and uh, James Chance and the Contortions. It was kind of like it paved. It's like pre Sonic Youth mm-hmm. and, and Swan. Sonic Youth and Swans come a little bit later, but they come out of that. And Fetus is that like how was that spelled? Fetus is also he. Fetus is actually a little later. It's F O E T U S. Yeah, J G Furwell. Are they from New York? Or yeah, he from, yeah. I remember like graffiti. I remember seeing that written around every once in a while in the early nineties. Yeah, and yeah. They're from New York, and that yeah. he's one of my favorite lyricists. That was a big. I mean, lyrically, I was pulling from a lot of different places. Mm-hmm. I, was, I was pulling from just as much from like Starkweather as I was like Scott Walker or Manic Street Preachers or. Mm-hmm. And all the weird literary shit that I was into, and, and movies and everything. So. so we've talked a little bit about some of the uh, maybe unconventional influences that went into the communion. What about uh, black metal or just death metal and black metal and and you know oh, extreme yeah. metal in general? Like what what's what's the influence there? What, was it more old school or? You know, I'll let you talk. I mean, yeah. Well, 
bands that were a little more like raw, like mm-hmm. stuff like we were big fans of uh, Blood. Blood was a big one. Uh, yeah, yeah, nuclear, yeah. Nuclear Death. We were yeah. just obsessed with Nuclear Death. And uh, as far as black metal, I think we just like this. We like the stuff that was a little, a lot of American stuff actually, like stuff like Masochist and Krieg and Hemlock and like the first couple of Gold Horror records. Mm-hmm. And the French black metal stuff, like Antaeus was Antaeus was a big one from France, because at the time when like you know in like the 2006 2007 like French black metal was kind of like had a lot of buzz going, but it was like Deathspell Omega, Blood Us Nord, yeah, which we liked that stuff, but Antaeus was so much more like vicious and not they weren't as technical. But well, something about them just we really like that a lot. So that's the thing for like the the myriad of, of uh, influences that you had. I don't know if I would use the word melodic or or even the word technical, and I, and I say that with reverence to describe a lot of your music. It's very raw, and it's very like you said, vicious. It's very mm-hmm. visceral. It's 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 really confrontational music, and it oh, doesn't let up. Yeah. For the, I mean, I, I've listened to a lot of it, and I, it's hard to find a. Uh, in the later eras, there's some more uh, atmospheric experimentation every once right. in a while. Usually, yeah. usually a lot of the time, like rhythmic with with Joe playing drums and kind of noise going on, but mm-hmm. still not a whole lot of um, heartfelt emotional breakdowns or anything. Well, the, the one song that kind of had like an acoustic part was on uh, "Desire Level of Unease" in mm-hmm. 2012. There was a Garbage Island tectonic shift, and we just kind of. <laughs> threw in this like kind of jangly like Twin Peaks sounding guitar part yeah. but then I totally just yelled over it about like anuses and whatever <laughs> so so uh, alright so uh, you and you guys you, now you're playing shows Lee's booking shows you're recording and in 2009 you did an East Coast tour with Transient right, right yeah where's Transient is that, are they from Arizona Transient is from Portland Port- Portland I'm sorry but right. West Coast close well, I, th- I think Krista, the, the singer, I th- believe she was born in Arizona. Artificial Brain shared the stage with them in Arizona. That's why I have yeah. That, we played with them when we, a year later when we did the West Coast. We played with them in Arizona. Okay, yeah. Well, that's that's what I wanted to get to. Is your 2010 West Coast tour with them? That was like your first proper tour, right? Yeah, that was the first like really big one. And Transit, they Transit got it. We got to get all the credit to them. They really like hooked that up, and they hooked us up with the van and equipment and. It was it was great. You couldn't ask for like I couldn't fast for like a better experience on the road. Uh, well, I wanted to talk about the the experience on the road because I've heard a few anecdotes here and there through the years and and stuff. I, I, the one that stands out to me, I remember hearing something about like playing with a, a black metal band in a trailer or something like that. Or? Oh shit! There was West we on West Virginia. We played on top of a mountain in West. This was in two thousand six. Oh okay, so this and, is before this tour. Right. Yeah, this was in two thousand six, and it was a band called Frost Throne. Oh okay. <laughs> They were absolute. They were you know absolute darlings, but they were just you know super green, and you know so that was yeah we played on top of a mountain. It was on a flatbed truck, so it was like the it was like we were lined up like it was I don't know like a poster, like <laughs> like we were on a poster. So it was like you had like it's like you know usually you have like the drummer behind me and you have a guitar player over here. Oh, so you guys right. are like the Beatles, like lined like one, up, yeah, like, yeah. Li- like a lineup. It <laughs> yeah. was like a lineup, so it was complete a complete fucking mess. But it was a lot of fun. It was like basically camping with, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, wow. What? Well, so what about like the, the guy from Frost Throne? I think hunts ghosts now. By the way. Okay. Oh well, maybe we should reach out to him. Yeah, that's might- better than some, what some other fucking black metal people are up to. Whoa, you know, that's for sure. Jesus, I'm not touching that. <laughs> I'm not going down that Take old today. Take that, black metal society. Yeah. Taki that, uh. black metal society. <laughs> oh, sorry. Whoa. Okay. 
So Hi, Miko. <laughs> so, uh, what about the West Coast tour? Just any tours in general? Any other tour stories? Any other interesting things? You know, happen oh, on the road? Interesting things. I mean, you guys. Well, this tour with Transient was it like DIY spots? Was it punk spots? It was a mix of like legit venues and like people's houses mm-hmm. and like head shops and it was awesome bars. But it was yeah, it was a, I liked it. it was a little bit of everything, and that's what I liked about it. And um, all right, so you guys get home from tour, and uh, shortly after that, um, Lee Altamari, one of the founding guitarists, passes away. Yes, he had. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know if you want to tell you, he had complications from surgery with his eye. Yeah, he, yeah. well, Lee was diabetic, yeah. and he had a cataract in his. Uh, I believe it was his right eye, and he went in for surgery. It was literally two days after he had recorded like those three songs that we mentioned earlier that would be on the splits with Bastard Noise and The Kill. Mm-hmm. And he, he, they did the surgery. They sent him home that day, and then he just he collapsed at home. And uh, I remember I was at my friend's house, and I, got a, I was watching... I remember, I remember clearly I was watching uh, Alice by Jan Stankmeyer on Netflix. I get a call from Billy, and he tells me that, you know, we passed away. And at first I was like, get the fuck out of here. What are you talking about? And, you know, he started break cracking up, and I was like, oh, fuck. I went over, you know, I was in Hicksville. I went right to Bethpage, and I remember I remember it was pouring fucking rain. Anything yeah. communion-related, it was always fucking raining. And we're sitting in my friend's car. She had OK Computer by Radiohead on, and all I'm thinking is, Jesus fucking Christ, Lee hated Radiohead. He'd be so fucking miserable right now. And, you know, so, yeah, we, we, you know, we buried him a couple days later, and... He had left such a strong foundation that we were able to pretty much keep it going without yeah. really taking a break, which I don't know if we should have, but maybe we shouldn't. I think it was good that we, we kept it going and we were able to keep it going for another like seven, eight years. Almost the that. better part of a decade. Yeah, I mean. Uh, and it's just from an outside perspective, uh, maybe this is me romanticizing it a little bit. Cause I, you know, I, I was friends with Lee, and I, you know, I, I, I mourned him and, and everything. It almost seems like uh, the band was like charged from him for for the last seven or eight years that it kept going. Like you know, re- you know, constantly working to release these last few songs of his in the split format. Absolutely, and, he was. You know, you know, he was always. I like wanted there. To, wanted to make sure he was always mentioned, and never every year I try to even even now that the band doesn't exist anymore, I still try to like I still want him to be remembered and every time we have mm-hmm. new fans or new people i want them to know that we fucking started this whole thing yeah yeah and a lot of people have probably seen lee and not realized it because he's uh being kept alive too in those little stickers mm-hmm. that are all over yeah. the country in different venues now those were designed yeah. by gary bennett from you know kill your idols and yeah. that cycle and he's he knew lee forever and yeah. gary bennett actually set up the lee memorial shows that happened in later in the summer at mm-hmm. that at that time so speaking about shows that happened later that summer, you guys, at the time of Lee's passing, you had just gotten home from your first uh, big West Coast tour, right? And Lee passes away, and you're booked to perform at Maryland Death Fest. That's right. So, mm-hmm. and and how much time is there elapsed between Lee's passing and Maryland Death Fest? It's a little over a month. So, so that that's a lot of like turmoil and, and yeah. I, mean, I mean i imagine there had to be some intense maybe conversations yeah, it was, and, yeah and, but we just you know what we just fucking did it we we're just like let's you know do it for him and i it's it was amazing because that's again i got a, I had a day before Mary, i get a fucking abscess on my face huh. and i end up having to sing with a fucking abscess right on my upper lip uh. also like i think joe's girlfriend at the time dumped him right before so he's like he's you know destroyed 
And he's yeah. like, oh, you're lucky. I, I, I wasn't even going to come out here. And I just like, like, I'm like pointing at my face like, <laughs> fuck you. Like, I gotta, I'm just going to sing with a wad of pus under my lip. So whatever. Jeez, <laughs> this is... Sorry, guys. So Pressing. how how did that set go? Describe that that experience playing at the. Well, I can remember Death it was it was we were the first band on the first day. Yeah. But it went. I thought it went okay. Mm-hmm. We were on the the MDF movie, the DVD, and yeah. I actually contacted directors and I said, "Can you do something about my face? Because I got a big fucking." Wo-. <laughs> and it didn't actually look. When I look at pictures, of them, I'm like, "Oh, it doesn't." If you didn't know what I looked like, it doesn't yeah. look that bad. But they so they, they put some weird camera effects on there. I was hoping they put like a blue dot on my face, like in like Core TV or something. Yeah, but, yeah. Uh, yeah. Then people would just be like, "Why well, they have a blue man group?" Or sure. like, like, or that I'm like some kind of like sex offender or yeah. whatever. Yeah, Oof. that would actually work with the communion's whole vibe. Actually. Yeah. Oh man, we're so, gross and weird. <laughs> so, all right. So, so after Lee passes away, you guys obviously decide to keep the band going in his mm-hmm. honor and to continue the work that he began doing. Um, Lee, I know, was so hardwired into the scene and networked into uh, pen palling with people and trading with people. Did you? Was there a process then there of somebody else taking over the the band contacts? Uh, and- I gotta give it to Jimmy on that man. Jimmy really fucking stepped up. He switched to guitar, and then he he figured out a way to to like split the signal in his guitar into a bass amp so he could do both things. And he you know stepped up as a songwriter. And you know he put put together a practice space for us, and you know he he, he like had a lot of you know, and Jimmy had a lot of friends too. You know he's very people fucking love him, so yeah. And so that he you know, he really stepped up, man. He really went above and beyond, and it wouldn't have, wouldn't have kept going without him. I mean, I you know I have I bring nothing to the table except <laughs> like lyrics, and the rest of us are a fucking mess. But he did you know he it's good credit to him mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, so, so you guys move forward as a four-piece. Mm-hmm. Uh, you play MDF. You continue to work on this material. These last three songs, getting them out. Um, that has Lee, and, and you write new material. Right. Uh, and you mentioned that um, Jimmy steps up as a songwriter. And I noticed the the last several years, a lot of your newer songs. Um, maybe it was just something you were doing live out, but but you were you were working on you were you would incorporate kind of like atmospheric or experimental parts definitely yeah. uh, noise based parts yeah, but also yeah. you, Joe very tremendously talented drummer would Absolutely. Uh, you know had his own like drum flourishes into what what was the was that a conscious decision or, or was that like yeah, what, what I mean, was the influence it, it on was that? just like also trying to trying to grow and not like lean on the same lean on the same shit that we liked you know yeah. we started drawing influence from stuff like a bands like Burmese and Portal Noisier this Fucked up French band kickback. This demented like one of their they, their last two records are two of my favorite albums of the last decade. I gotta like always like name drop them. So we started and bands like Total Abuse, and we started bringing more mm-hmm. of like a yeah, just more experimental and just trying to like expand our imaginations and expand the palette of the band. What would you say is Lee's influence on the band? Uh, going forward after his passing like what I, I should say like what um impact or, or what spirit of his do you do you try to keep in the band like what's the main what well for me personally just his his ideology i guess just you know don't be pretentious don't worry about like curating your image don't mm-hmm. just don't 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 be obsessed with status or hype chasing just do the fucking work and that's you know that's all I could I guess all I could say about it I don't know yeah, yeah. at the moment uh, I'm sure things will pop pop up a little bit later <laughs> that that's how how it always goes man and um 
I just, you know, not to harp harp on Lee too much in uh, the situation, man. but but as I mentioned before, you know, I was friends with Lee. He booked mm-hmm. a lot of important early shows in Buckshot's career and in Biolich's career, and um, his, you know, his passing affected me too. And I just, I want people who listen to this podcast and and uh, learn about the communion to come come away with an understanding of how important Lee was and how much. Um, how, how much he impacted the local scene around around here and impacted us, man, because, uh, you know, people people see, like, artificial brain, you know, and they think I was just, like, you know, all, all, like, like it was easy. Like, I was born and I, I joined a brutal death metal band and we started touring <laughs> nah. with Black Dahlia Murder or something like that. But <laughs> Lee really helped me out, man, and people likely really helped me out when I was in my 20s trying to find my way with this stuff and I wasn't sure about it. And a lot of other people, too, not just me. Helped me. You know, yeah. freaking helped me. Yeah, and not just and not just music like geeking out on going to just going to like the fucking comic book shops with him mm-hmm. and just you know sometimes mm-hmm. just hanging out like just hanging out. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I never just like it was always just no we gotta we gotta unless we're playing music I don't want to fucking see you. It was never <laughs> like that. With him. Yeah, yeah. I would just talk. Just we just were into all the same like pro wrestling shit and weird movies and comics and you know. Funny guy too, kind of a dry, sarcastic, hysterical. Wit. I would love for, I would love to just hear a little running commentary uh, by Lee now on some of the trends going on in the scene and some of the ways death metal and grindcore are being like made. There's into so a many things that fashion. Are, all it was always like, dude, like, can you imagine what Lee would fucking say about? Like, <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah, about a lot of you'd things. Have, you'd have something. <laughs> I don't know. I, I remember the first time I met Lee was actually ta- in front of Tower Records at Huntington. Uh, which is actually the first place I met Jimmy. Jimmy used to work there for a number right, of years. Right, yes, yeah. Uh, I but, think that's, yeah. No, I met Jimmy at Utopia, but yeah. Yeah, was, yeah. Uh, Tower Records Huntington was like, it's actually, it's it's in the Walt Women Mall parking lot now. Uh, it's something, I think a clothing store. Yeah, I used to go there. I used to go there. Yeah, with, yeah, uh, yeah. I, I, you were probably there. Me and um, Adam Rotella and uh, I think probably Tom from Biolitz were hanging out there when we were teenagers and we ran to Lee and you might have been there. Might, it was some of his, like, yeah. his people and... I remember him saying he literally. I remember him literally saying he was like, "Yeah, I, I write to dying fetus, some pen pals with dying fetus or something." And we were like, "It was like when you meet somebody from another town that's also underground." Yeah. When you're a teenager, it's like, "Whoa, other people, you know, know about this stuff." That's that's crazy, man. Uh, I, I like Mike Zancelli talking about his first metal show. You know, you're like, you know, it's there and it's underground, but the fact that there's other kids in your yeah, when you see vicinity, it happen, it's a little weird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, 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 man. And uh, and then. When we were jamming with Biolich, we went and jammed with some guy and, and Lee once, and it didn't work out long before the... This is back in the late 90s. Still. Right. But, um, yeah, man, just wanted to talk about Lee a little bit. But, but you know, moving forward, you guys, you kind of develop a more, in a way, more experimental, but in a way more refined sound. And I think a sound that's a little more influenced by black metal, if that's fair to say, in the years I'd say so, come. yeah. I, I It's funny, because, like, whenever Jimmy or Billy would write a song, that before the drums came in, they sounded like black metal songs. But then yeah. when Joe comes in with the drums, that's when they really become grindcore songs. Yeah, Joe's Joe was a blastaholic, man. Yeah, yeah. I also got to say, this, uh, when we did the this, the Lee tribute show, the second one, that's where this that's where William Berger comes into the picture, and William Berger, rest in peace, he passed away in 2017, and he had you know the My Castle of Quiet radio program, and okay. it was right around it was it was like into one thing into the uh, and then into the other because then he he invited us on Castle of Quiet it was our first ra- it was the only radio thing we ever did we played a live set there and that's when he offers to put out Desire Love of Unease on his record label Prison Tad oh so and then you know up until his passing he was just like one of our biggest supporters uh huh I talked to him all the time he was a wonderful a wonderful man and I miss him very much 
Okay, I, I didn't realize that. Is there is there an archive anywhere of his? Of if these you radio look up my or? castle quiet, you'll. It's. I'm sure it's still up. And okay. you'll find it. Yeah. All right, that's interesting. I didn't realize that. I'm very happy with my. Yeah, it sounded great. It sounded really good. I was kind of hoping that we could maybe release it, but I think it's part of the archive. I think you would have to like talk to them about releasing yeah, it. Yeah. So we're just. It's up there. You can look for it. Yeah. Um. Boo leggers, check that out. <laughs> um. So you guys, I mean, I, I just wanted to ask you maybe some of the the highlights of um of this period of the band that we're talking about now. You just mentioned uh, this this radio show. What what about performing live? Because you guys did start to get you know, especially with Cat Bomb, like we mentioned, some of the higher profile grindcore shows that come to the area. Yeah. Um, I know uh, uh, there was a little bit of a resurgence, like I mentioned before, in death metal and grindcore on Long Island here with the younger scene since 2012. That's yeah, this uh, gentleman by the name of Tom McCarthy. Yeah, yeah. Obnoxious but- Noise. They start, you know, he's, he he started hooking it up out mm-hmm. here, and uh, that's where it, you know that's when we like start to play with like some yeah, because now we're starting to get a little bit older, I guess, and we start to see these young kids like full. You see like full of hell. Yeah. And uh, I remember seeing full of hell and thinking like. Hmm. <laughs> hmm. But I, I, oh, I'm kidding. I think they're. I, I, they're, I did. I see them, and then immediately I bought the records. So. Uh-huh. But I was like, oh, this is like young kids kind of doing a, a variation on what we're doing. I mean, yeah. they're more influenced by I think Converge and stuff. We're more influenced by the bands that influence Converge. Yeah, we're influenced by Rushak and all that stuff. Well, that that's what I meant before when I said timing is everything, and you guys were just a little too early. Well, Full of Hell also worked a lot yeah. fucking harder than we did. And yeah, like we're just you know well, way more dependable and way more reliable than we were. Props to Full of Hell, uh, a very hardworking band um, who gets a lot of shit, but worked very hard to to get the recognition they're enjoying right now. Uh, if if they they're totally, in, if, I mean, they, it just took me back to like the bands that got me into underground music when I first heard yeah. them. Like, oh fuck yeah! If I was sixteen, this would be my favorite band. And that's not a, yeah. that's not an insult. When I was sixteen, I was listening to like Soylent Green and Iron Monkey and all this crazy shit. Right. It's just putting your time yourself in a place. You know, when yeah. when would you be able to sink your teeth into it? You've been and listening like, to heavy I, music for X many years. Exactly. Yeah. You know. And also at this time, Jim. Is is this when he begins the project Swollen Organs, or had this existed I think earlier? He'd been, like he'd been like. Doing, I think even right around when he joined us, he okay. was still kind of doing it in earnest. He was kind of doing it in earnest, and then it just sort of—I guess it sort of took off. Yeah, because he started playing shows more and performing yeah. in other states and things like that. The last few years, I mean, the, it's funny because the first like official release, people thought I was singing on it, <laughs> and I've noticed that he's kind of changed the way he sings. Yeah, because yeah. I just, uh, doesn't want the uh, yeah, no, it doesn't, yeah. the, the for him connotation. <laughs> So what? So well, let's let's talk about some projects other than the communion that sure. that you have uh, featured on. Uh, Tunnel Nun. What's Tunnel, Tunnel Nun was my uh, was my power like was like my noise experimental project that I just I just kind of did it whenever I was like bored or restless and just felt like doing something. Mm-hmm. I mean, the only like real actual like recording is New Talent Always Welcome. That was the first one that I did, and uh, that was put out by it was put out on a three inch CDR by Petite Souls. Hi Scott Kinberg, thanks for putting that out. And that was a chance to, like, kind of... I just felt... It, it's, I mean, the music is, like, gnarly and ugly, but I actually really enjoyed making it. Uh-huh. So, I don't know. And that was just... I just totally, like, hijacked all the Jimmy stuff one day. It was like a practice where, you know, there's a shock. It was canceled. And I was like, Jimmy, I'm coming over to your place, and I'm just going to do a noise record. And he's like, okay. So I just did that, and that was the first Tom Run record. And then later I got a room recorder, and I just did, like, vocal exercises 
One of my favorite albums is uh, Adult Themes for Voice by Mike Patton, where it's just him going, that kind of shit. So I just, I did a whole album like that called uh, Microaggressions, because people were talking about microaggressions. Yeah, I'm going to call an yeah. album Microaggressions. And is this available anywhere for anyone to uh, check? If you look up Tunnel on Bandcamp, everything's on there. And then later I just did like demo stuff that I was like rough stuff that I figured I would do later. But then I got kind of like burned out on Power Electronics. Yeah. The final tunnel I'm recording, which I thought was perfect, is a cover of Scandalous by Prince. It's from the Batman <laughs> soundtrack. It's my favorite fucking Prince song. I got to so, look into that. I got to look into that. Look, oh, it's, yeah. Random soundtrack garbage. songs can be awesome. It's, it's garbage, but I, I just <laughs> wanted to see what would happen. It's like, am I going to get sued by the, this was like right after he passed away. Yeah. I'm like, I want to see if I get sued by the Prince estate if I post this like shitty garbage cover of Scandalous. That'll help get recognition, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Getting that but clap. But again, Tunnel, like, I had some lyrics that maybe didn't quite fit the communion. Mm-hmm. Maybe they were too porno-y or too whatever. So I just said, oh, I'll dump them in this power electronic thing. Tunnel nut. Mm-hmm. And what about Crisis Actor? Well, Crisis Actor came out of... I was talking to uh, Kishore. We mentioned... I think we mentioned him earlier, right? Yeah, Kishore. Uh, I don't want to butcher his last name, but Kishore Holbeek. Hol- Holbeck? Yeah, Holbeck. Holbeck. Yeah, I'm sorry. He's in short. Black Harvest. He's, you yeah. know, and I was talking about maybe wanting to do some side stuff because Communion had kind of started slowing down, and I was like, I had a lot of lyrics, and I had some lyrics that didn't fit with the Communion that were kind of these like smart ass, post ironic, anti humor kind of things. And he sent me these, he wrote these songs. I sent him some lyrics first. It was like the total reverse of how Communion usually the music with Communion, the music was written. Mm. And then I would I would put lyrics to it. This was like I sent Kishore lyrics and he wrote music to it. So I was like, oh, yeah. that's cool. It's like the reverse it's reverse communion. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. And then, the working process. Yeah. You know? So okay. it was. It was fun. We did the five songs. I had some fun with it. That's that's on Bandcamp too, right? Yep. Crisis Actor. Two releases. We have Rape Crisis Actor and Homeschool Shooter. <laughs> mm-hmm. And uh, again, never backing off of the confrontational. Kind of fuck you I mean, attitude. Yeah, though. but I mean, it's just because I like that shit. I'm not trying yeah. to be provocative. I'm not trying to make any. I'm, I'm more. I'm more looking for a laugh more than anything. Well, yeah, no. I like the fact that you never do like the uh, the. I'm really just a sensitive guy, you know. Project, you know. You know, <laughs> I I'll start every time I try. Like I love like stuff like Blackheart Procession or whatever. And I, I'm like, I want to write stuff like that because I've had those feelings. But then it always turns into something, you know, just murdery and ugly, and it turns into just. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Wearing your face or whatever, you know, just nasty shit. Yeah, Uh, I I I can't help it. Natural man, Mm -hmm. let it flow. Mm -hmm. And and was another band Mouth of Maggots? Yes, Mouth of Maggots was it was like a one shot thing. It was Aaron Edge, you know, who does uh, Lumbar and he does a million other things. And he had I contacted him about doing something, but then he picked somebody else for it. But then one day I look at my email and he sent me this whole this EP that I guess he wrote with me in mind. And it's sort of like a more mid-tempo communion. It's like communion without any blasting or whatever. It's okay. In the vein of like stuff like Black Cobra and Lord Mantis and that kind of thing. And uh-huh. It's not that much. That's not that different lyrically. It's a. It's a little. I guess more. It's. It's a little lean a little more into the sleaze aspect of it. Originally, I wanted to call the band Raincoder, which was like an old term for like people that used to go to porno theaters. It's not a term that I'm sure like most young people even know what a fucking porno theater is. Uh, not I mean, yeah. Well, after this podcast, they will. But they went with mouth. We he went with mouth and maggots, and I was like, well, at least the initials spell mom. So I'm like, that's kind of funny. So all right. <laughs> so is that available? Yeah, Bandcamp again. He right, tried. Bandcamp. He tried to get that as a tape, and it's crazy because it's the drummer from like it's one of the, it's the drummer who was in between the buried and me. Huh. 
So I thought that was kind of like funny. I'm like, I hope I didn't say some shit about Between the Buried and Me at some point. Because, <laughs> but I'm like, he couldn't get, he couldn't, he tried getting it released and he couldn't get anybody interested. I'm like, Jesus, even really with the Between the Buried and Me guy? And wow. You can't weird. slap that on a fucking sticker. And let me, let me call John from Third Eye Grind. I was just thinking about that. Case. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very happy with that. I was very happy with that release. I was very proud of it. It was, it was fun. Um, and also, you were on a Reeking Cross uh, recording, right? Yeah, it's like, I guess, so far, the final recording. Okay. It was uh, just a couple of like quick songs. It was Deformed Hooker and uh, Tethered Mongrel, which was originally going to be called Girlfriend in a Choker, which I named after. It was a Mor- There's a Morrissey song called Girlfriend in a Coma, yeah. and I was going to do I it know. in that. I was going to do it in that tune. More, yeah, not Morrissey. Probably the only the only lane I'm not going to follow you down with all this different music we're talking tonight. <laughs> I, I was I loved Spitz. Sorry, hey. sorry guys, sorry meme people with your memes. Ah, fuck this shit. Music was music me, me, before the me, internet. Me into some fucking Morrissey shit. I don't care. Yeah. Um. So I was also on. I don't. Do you have anything about the buttress on there? No. I was. She's a. She's this fucking deranged, like dark hip hop artist. She was in the movie Kuso, which is directed by Flying Lotus. Okay. And oh, I cool. was uh, the track Brutus. I'm part of the male choir, and that's probably the one thing on YouTube that has more hits than anything else I've ever done. I think I remember you sending me this when, yeah. it, when it was new. Yeah. And she's yeah, she's this like she's she's wonderful. I love her. She's she's basically like. Right now, there's a girl named Billie Eilish. She's like a new, the new hip young pop star. Yeah, she's like she's, 16 or something. Yeah, she's right? she's the PG-13 reboot of the Buttress. The Buttress mm-hmm. is the real shit. She's like the Buttress is Texas Chainsaw Massacre '74. Billie Eilish is Texas Chainsaw Massacre '2003. Oh my God! Did you see they're rebooting Child's Play? Yes. What? Oh, this, uh, these people. Okay, don't. That, I, let, I mean, I'm I'm in it for Arby Plaza and some. Tied up and shit. That's cool, but because I love her. But uh, I, I just these movies. These, I'm, I, I did see the Pet Cemetery reboot. How was that? Yeah. Ooh, it was rough. It wasn't yeah. very good. I was thinking about seeing that. But I wanted to go because I was hoping that Buckshot's Pet Cemetery would be in the end credits. More like it was, more it likely was, Fallout Boys. No, version. it was this like kind of. It was like a bunch of like hipster chicks that heard the Runaways once and they tried to sound like that. And they but it's the did, same pets. It's Pet Cemetery. Yeah. It's that Ramones Pet Cemetery song. Yeah. All right. Well. Uh, oh, it's garbage. We 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 did it not knowing that that movie was coming out, man. What are you gonna do? No, of course not. But <laughs> I remember I sent that to you, and you're like, "Yo, doesn't like doesn't Stephen King have like 300 other books that they could do?" You well, have a great will impression. <laughs> it's not perfect, but you're embodying the soul yeah. of it. The guys in bio that used to do something like. Yeah, I'm trying to get some sleep over here. What do you guys? It was just like somebody who just got their nose blown off. Lee, or something. Lee used to do the most hilarious half-ass impressions of people. <laughs> I gotta say, like they didn't sound anything. He would do like an impression of like Mike Scandato and be like, "Oh, Mike Scandato." It's like that's not what he fucking sounds like, dude. <laughs> it's just more like Lee's kind of like irreverent sense of humor kind. Yeah. Of. <laughs> uh, were there any other projects you were involved in that we didn't cover? Any other side projects, uh, guest appearances? Probably not. What about uh, the movie where somebody wears a communion shirt? Was that Breaking Ouroboros? It's Breaking Ouroboros, and it's also that's Andrei Iskanov. He's a he's a Russian filmmaker. Mm-hmm. I was, he's wonderful, and yeah, I I he was looking for people to like. I guess he was looking to kind of drum up some money, and he's like, "Oh, if you send me, you know, I'll put a, I'll do product placement." I'm like, "Well, I fucking love your movies, dude, and I have a band. If you want to wear like a shirt or whatever." And he wore it in one movie, but then he ended up wearing it like all over his Facebook page and in his other in other movies that he's done. A lot of them haven't been released yet. 
so there's a lot of parallels between like waiting for his shit to be released and waiting for our shit to be released but (laughs) his movies are insane dude it's like I don't know how he does it they look like it doesn't even look like they don't even look like films it looks like he wears some kind of like videodrome dream recorder helmet and he just releases them because they don't I don't know what kind of film he uses but they're amazing movies wow and what's his name again just for the Andre Iskanoff hi Andre you can't understand what we're saying (laughs) wow uh, just, uh, just again, just to, to reinforce the point that I've been trying to make about how much um, film and other types of media uh, influence the communion and interact with the communion and are just part of that this whole vibe. You know, it's kind of like being being a fan of the communion and doing a dive into the music. Like I have known you guys, obviously, you know, pretty much since the beginning. Um, oh, totally. Yeah. But obviously, you know, I gave myself a big refresher course in the last week. Uh, so for I. this interview. <laughs> yeah, yeah, got to remember some stuff. <laughs> and and it's like you kind of become you can't help when you. You try to study the band but get immersed also in some of the uh the the films and the artwork that are referenced in your social media oh, and your you. releases you know what i mean it, it yeah, brings, it brings I, a lot to yeah, it yeah that's what it was it was just you know i guess what people call it now is an influencer mm-hmm. maybe i mean i'm obviously a very low stakes influencer but i i wanted to always i was we were always like name dropping stuff and like the old myspace page i used to always do like a laundry list of here's everything we're listening to and here's everything we're watching and yeah, you want it's the that's the whole. I mean, that's what we're doing now with the podcast. Yeah, check, totally. Check, we check only out, do that. We yeah. don't even put on music. Yeah, yeah check course. out these bands. That's what I do know. now. I'm not in yeah. a fucking. I'm not a fucking yeah. band now. So I just yeah geek out about. I just geek out about. Not yeah. Out. If I mean, if anybody in Nassau or Suffolk, if any of the shit I mentioned scratches or wears the itch, yeah, you know, try to find me. <laughs> yeah, look for the raincoater spots. Whoa. Yeah. So they're out there. So you guys, in 2015, you recorded material uh, for a split CD with Helm Splitter. That's right. That mm-hmm. was on what's the label's name? Pain Horror Pain Gordeth. Horror Pain Gordeth. Helm Splitter hooked that up because they had mm-hmm. put out a couple of records on Horror Pain Gordeth, and they were friends okay. with the gentleman who runs it. That was um, uh, Crack House. When I brought that in a couple of weeks yeah, ago. Crack yes. House, uh, yeah, Crack House. Pink yeah. Mass is on there. The last couple of I think Pink yeah. Mass records. Some cool bands on there. I remember uh, it's a great VHS. Like, yeah. I remember checking them out. They were pretty cool too. Like a lot of good bands. Yeah, yeah. They're a really solid label. Yeah, I think so. Good label for like the nitty gritty, brutal stuff, man. Grindcore and dark, dark stuff. Um, and you recorded that actually. Uh, Jay Newman from Unearthly Trance. Yeah, that's kind right, of Jay. Produced yeah, that, right? Jay. Oh God, Unearthly. They go way back. Like Unearthly Trance played their first show in Lee's backyard. Wow. That was I don't know when that was. I guess late nineties. Mm-hmm. And Unearthly Trance in two thousand six when they put out the first album on Relapse. They had us play that record release show and you know we just oh we played on and all play with under trance all the time and then yeah. you know jay worked with jimmy and joe at sir in manhattan and jay, jay had opened up like he's got the recording studio i guess like around here somewhere yeah jay well i know he records uh he records some people out of his house i guess maybe he does work out of a studio yeah that's too. where yeah. we that's where we record i think he recorded the the drums might have been recorded. No, the drums might have been recorded somewhere else. I'm not 100 percent on that. Yeah. But we recorded everything at Jay's house. Everything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, I actually, uh, I did backup vocals on a record by the band Forced. I don't know. They were they were. Quite, I fucking love Forced. They, they po- really I, I don't lot. know if they're still around. I guess they kind of popped in. I don't know. I know they put out years. like I have the one tape they did, and then they mm-hmm. kind of quietly put something out on Bandcamp. Yeah, I did backup vocals really liked it. on on one song on that, and they recorded that with Jay. Man, I think we yeah. played. We did play with. I think when we played with Artificial Brain, you know, we played with Artificial Brain a bunch of times. But yeah. Forced was on one of those shows, and I really liked them a lot. Yeah, yeah, I loved Forced, and that's uh, just something I'll probably bring it up for the uh, for the listeners another time and talk about it in detail. But Forced was a. I, I, they might still be around. You never know. But they were banned uh, from Long Island just just recently. Queens, Long Island area um, that that played a lot, and they had an interesting black metal 
sound. Really cool. Uh, yeah, really technical, fucking, but, but really cool but fucking raw. band. Yeah, totally. Interesting. Yeah, so, so um, but you recorded with Jay Newman, um, and he's he's recorded a few other bands, but you're one of very few bands that he's recorded. He doesn't really do that stuff like professionally, you know, tons of bands. I guess not, yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I recorded the, the vocals for Mouth Maggots and Crisis Actor with him also. Yeah, I've actually recorded a couple of uh, rap songs with him too. I mean, I don't know if he does the, yeah, I don't know if he records the Unearthly Trans stuff. I haven't talked to Jay in a long time. I've been so out of it. Like, after Communion ended, I kind of mm-hmm. just took a long fucking, took a fucking dirt nap for a while. Well, I, I want to talk about that because, sure, um, you know, we we brought up uh, the recording with Jay Newman, the Helm Splitter CD, and and then the Bastard Noise split uh, eventually did come out too. Yeah, right? like 2016, it finally came out. Like and Thanksgiving, like on Thanksgiving, which I thought was hilarious. <laughs> We're thankful that it finally came out. Yeah. And um, I'm sure Eric Wood just fucking loves Thanksgiving. <laughs> and I, I know in 2018, uh, I attempted to book the communion once or twice. Um, no, not not to take mm-hmm. shots at you or anything, Please man. Please do. I don't I've, care. I've had bands where we had to cancel shows for one reason or another. That those, these things happen, but the band did ultimately break up in 2018. Right. And um, I don't want to. I don't want to pry too hard, um, you know, and go where I'm, go where it's none of my business. But at the same time, we're here at the, doing a podcast about the communion, so I did want to ask you about that. Sure. No and problem. what you'd be comfortable sharing with the listeners uh, um, about the breakup I mean, of the, the band. Drama-free, condensed version is the band ended for the reason that a lot of bands end. The reason that a lot of relationships end, really, it's it was outsized expectations, aggrieved entitlement, caustic indifference, and petulant spite. And we were all four of us were guilty of all of those things to varying degrees. Yeah. And it just was, you know, it just we couldn't get it together. We just it, that last the last year, I was just it was just a mess. We couldn't get on the same page. We couldn't just getting people on the even getting people on the phone was a fucking ordeal. And more and more, it seemed like the conversations were turning into, like, like business-oriented or something, where it was more about, like, branding and how can we better curate our image and how can we generate label interest. And I'm like, dude, it's not 1993. Weird bands are not getting signed to major labels. Just Let's just fucking write some fucking songs. It's really not that complicated. Maybe but, getting away from, from the original spirit of the band? Absolutely. I felt, I just saw the writing on the wall, and it was just, it was a lot, you know, we'd spend, whenever we, the rare occasion when we did get together in a room, it was fine. We, we there was still chemistry, we practiced, we got along, we joked around, but then, like, we spend time apart, and then, like, your mind starts to wander, and you start to be like, well, we're not bigger because you wear fucking jean shorts on stage, and you wear a baseball cap, <laughs> and you're not playing the right kind of pedal, you're not playing the right kind of guitar, we need to get this kind of... We need to yeah. be more like this. And it's just like, dude, stop comparing yourself to other people and just fucking do it. Yeah, and yeah. You, usually with conversations like that, um, a lot of time it boils down to creative differences. And sometimes people need to find... Yeah, it was know, like that. And it just... I, I, I mean, I was trying to... It was getting so... I was getting so desperate to maintain the presence that I was turning it into like... It was becoming a fucking meme page. And I'm like, am I that desperate to maintain our presence that it's turning into a fucking meme page? It's so dumb. And I just, I was just not in a good place. And finally, it's like, Joe was the first one to quit. And he quit like about five weeks. We were supposed to play with Enemy Soil. That was probably going to be our last show anyway. I was probably, I was planning on like, I can't do this anymore. You know, I wanted to do the Enemy Soil show. I wanted to record the last five songs properly. But when I saw that that wasn't going to happen, I just was like, guys, I'm I'm done. I'm out. And those are the five songs that, like, a rehearsal room version is available. Yeah, that's Creep Fever. That was supposed yeah. to be the. That was that was my idea for the full length. I had yeah. a, I had like ten more songs picked out. I had kind of a whole like concept in my head for it. Yeah. But it just you know, people just it was like a lot of 
lazy inactivity and kind of shady avoidance. And I mean, I can only speak from my perspective on things. You'd have yeah. to talk to them about it, you know. But there was it was just it was just a drag. The energy yeah. was just weird and not the good weird, not the kind yeah. of weird that inspired us. It was just like ugly and depressing and. I just couldn't. I just had enough, man. How did it feel once the band had, was officially? You had whatever conversation you had, and it was just a wrap. Oh, I wow. mean, there was a bunch of conversation. I told him, "I'm done. Don't fucking call me." And that was pretty much it. But, huh. uh, I mean, I felt like I was I was mixed about it because I wish it would have ended on a stronger note. I would have liked to have done yeah. one more show, one more recording. But I can't complain too much because I did it for thir- like 13, 14 years. Yeah. A lot of solid releases that I'm very proud of. A lot of wonderful fucking memories. And, you know, I can't complain, really, at the end of the day. You know, it was... I didn't. I never cared about being big or getting... Playing... Head, headlining the fucking PlayStation Theater or whatever nonsense was becoming the focus. I just... I just wanted to play music, and I did it. And that's it. Would, would you say... Is it fair to say, would you say that... Uh what Lee might have originally set out to do with the band and whatever work was left to do when Lee passed away had been accomplished? Absolutely, yeah. We got those We got those last songs out. The band ended before it became a joke, before it was drained of an identity and a personality and just became like whatever, just like any other band. You know, I'm, very, I'm happy with everything that we left on the table, you know. And, and after, like you said, uh, approximately 14 years of being in one band... Mm-hmm. Uh, with you know, with a few side appearances and and, and and projects, what what's take me through like the initial, like I said, the first few days or the first few weeks where where the band is is kaput and you're actually accepting that it's done. Like I just got fucking paroled. <laughs> Freedom, relaxing, fucking relaxing. It was just like a wait, you know, because I was and a lot. I can only put my this was uh-huh. they weren't putting this on me. I was putting it on myself. Yeah, they no, kind of yeah. didn't. They kind of like didn't give a shit anymore. I was kind of jealous of the fact that they didn't give a shit that they had. They got their, you know, their, they got their cute girlfriends and they got their exciting life in the city. And um, you just, wish you didn't care at that. Yeah, I wish I didn't give a shit, right. but I did. And you know, oh man, this is sitting close to home for me you know, too. And it's just, you know, <laughs> I, was, I was like, all right, if I'm the only one that gives a shit, I might as well just let it go and not not yeah. burden anybody with it anymore, and just live by. You know, I got to a place where my mental health and my emotional well being was a little more important than maintaining a fucking grindcore band. <laughs> I um, hope to reach that point one day. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see. For, we'll see if this, this is just now. I could be like yeah. fucking in a band right now. <laughs> well, no, that I, I, I'm happy to hear that though, because that sounds like a very healthy way to uh, to be looking at the situation. Um, and and yeah. you said and you said freeing. That's that's interesting to me. So uh, that being said, are you using that newfound freedom to pursue any other interests or? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I mean, just you know, I'm just marinating in my obsessions, basically. Just you know. It's, you know, it's 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 nice, it's nice, and that's all I can say. You know, wow. fair enough, fair enough. Well, at this point, um, people who are interested in what we've been talking about, the band, the communion, there's lots of releases available uh, for your listening pleasure on Bandcamp. Everything's on Bandcamp. You can check out the original and demos. Disco, if you want hard copies, I think. Jimmy will probably Jimmy will definitely send you some shit. He's got all of it. Mm-hmm. But also, if you want to check Discogs, there's sellers that that have our stuff probably for like next to nothing because so, well, some of the stuff we don't even have anymore yeah but yeah. other people have it like we said we mentioned uh, Tunnel Nun Nick's uh, noise project it's fair to, fair to call it noise yeah uh, it's noise Crisis Actor more of a I guess 
It gets confusing because there's another band called Crisis Actor. There's a few okay. bands called Crisis Actor. Yeah, well, the, the Crisis Actor big. that has yeah. Nick Cassiopo singing. Yeah. More of a grindcore, I guess. Yeah, type it's of... kind of like uh, Willie would just rip off the first Daughters record. <laughs> it's, just, hey. it's totally just biting off the first Daughters okay. record. And, uh, and of course, Mouth of Maggots, um, to hear his vocals maybe in a different context uh, than the communion. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also, Nick uh, does a uh, few guest uh, vocal appearances on the second Artificial Brain record, Infrared Horizon. That's right, yeah. yeah. Really, yeah a couple so, of songs on that, you really hooked it up. Man. So some, you hooked it up. So some of you have actually already heard Nick, and you didn't even realize it, maybe. Uh, if Most high-profile thing I was probably ever on. If you didn't read those, uh, the, the colorblind... Uh, you can buy that at fucking Newberry Comics. But you, but you can't read the, the, the credits because the color choices we used for the layout. Than the CD I print. saw my name. Man. There, the, a guy who was uh, colorblind actually literally messaged us telling us he couldn't read. <laughs> I actually haven't it's, looked at that book yet, but I am colorblind. So it's a bad color know. combo, uh, just for future reference. Well, but, how dare you? But um, you know, I just wanted to clear that out of the way. Uh, anything else that you want to plug? Anything else that you want to say before well, we get into you album? Can, sure, you can find my. Uh, I have my long-running blog, Retributional Sodomy. You can check that. That's Blogspot. And you can also check out my Tumblr, Scum Gristle is my Tumblr. And uh, I do have an announcement, actually. I don't have anything music-related on the immediate horizon, but I do have an announcement. I, it's a heavy hole scoop. Okay. the scoop. Nice. Uh, I have a book coming out. It's coming out in the, looking like end of the summer, early fall, on Nihilism Revised is the name of the publisher. It's called Piecemeal. It's going to be a collection of short fiction it's expanding on a lot of the stuff laid out in the communion lyrics and all my lyrics, basically. It's expanding on that universe in a prose, in prose. It's short fiction. So I got that coming out. Wow. That's I'm, awesome. I'm looking forward to that, man. Wow. I didn't yep. expect that. That's the first yeah, first time I'm announcing that. So Wow. Thank you for announcing it on the heavy hole. And I couldn't think of a better place to announce it. Thank you very much. I was much, very happy man. that a awesome. gentleman, uh, Annihilism Revised, they're run by a gentleman by the name of S.C. Burke, a wonderful transgressive writer in his own right. And he gave me the okay to mention that. So Nihilism Revised, they're on Facebook, they're on Amazon. Their books are very affordable. They're really interesting. You, you'll, you definitely get a kick out of them if you're into that kind of shit. Wow. All right. Congratulations on being, so uh, becoming a published author. Thank you. That's great news. Uh, yeah, that's that's awesome. Well, be, before we go into album reviews quickly then, because there was one thing I neglected to ask you, and now that you mentioned that, I have to get into this. I just wrote down a few song titles quick. Uh, because cool. I love your lyric style and oh, and, thank you. I love right back at you, man. Seriously, uh, my favorite lyricist in New York, right here. Thank you, man. You know, don't want to turn into the handshake club, but I'm very much appreciated, man. Break it and, up. <laughs> uh, I mean, let's get into it, man. What about uh, Gallstone Seedbed? Could you talk about that? Uh, I think it was like some book that I read where somebody like they talked. Somebody they lived in like Appalachia or whatever was talking about how their grandmother did that, like planted her gallstones, and then it was just it was like the first time we'd ever like tried to write a doom song. We yeah. talked about it dating back to when I first joined the band, doing like an album length two riff doom song, something that was completely opposite of whatever. Where most of our songs are usually two minutes, fifteen parts. This is fifteen part, fifteen minutes, two parts. So. I just couldn't. I, I was struggling with the title, so I just went like, Goldstone Seedbed. I mean, it has nothing to do with the lyric. I just thought it sounded kind of gross and cool. It, it just evokes Im- a, lot, a lot of your song titles evoke imagery. That's what I was like always imagery, going yeah. for. It wasn't about like, yeah. be, I'm not a fucking provocateur. I'm, I'm more trying to like explore my own imagination and put a picture in your head because I can't fucking draw, and this is the only <laughs> way I know how to do it. I'm painting a picture, man. Yeah, yeah. the skill. One more uh, quickly, just before we we go into the album album recommendations. Um, I, this one always puzzled me. Libido Abattoir, and I wanted to know, is that in any way a reference to the band Libido Airbag? 
Uh, not really. Okay. It was just a combination of like it was just a combination of words that I thought sounded kind of cool. Yeah. You know, because yeah. an abattoir is a slaughterhouse, and libido slaughterhouse sounds kind of uh. libido yeah. abattoir sounds really fancy. Yeah. It and it's also one of my favorite lines from Alan Moore's Watchmen, the where Rorschach describes it as describes uh, the city as a libido as a abattoir full of retarded children. Sorry, I know that's that's a no-no word. I'm sorry, you, but it's a quote. I'm quoting. You're quoting media. I'm yeah. quoting yeah, a. I'm, I'm quoting a deeply unpleasant character <laughs> who says deeply unpleasant things. I don't feel that way. Yeah. I don't use that. I try really hard not to use that word anymore. Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. So, all right. Well, very exciting news um, ab- you. about your 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 book. Uh, really appreciate you sharing that. No problem. Uh, and now I think we're gonna we're gonna all try to share some recommendations for some old and some new releases, right? Love it, awesome. Okay, all right. So Tom, we're gonna get into some albums. Yeah, let's do it. You got something new? Yep. I got uh, Malignant Alter. Whoa, Maggot Stomp has done it again. Malignant. <laughs> Wait, Malignant Alter. I think I saw the ad- the advertisement. I'll let you get into it. I, I saw something about this. Well, here it is. Mm. Do a little sample. Get into it. Um, yeah. So. This is their new EP, or demo rather, excuse me. It's a Retribution of Jealous Gods. Came out March 22nd of this year on Maggot Stomp, which is, uh, man, it's, uh, if you're trying to find new shit, it's always a great place to land your eyeballs. It's a label? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, a lot of, a lot of really cool stuff coming out of there. Um, Maggot Stomp, all right. This is a, a band from Houston. It's a new project that's got Bo and Dober from Insect Warfare. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! Yeah, very cool. But it's a very different speed than the you know the grindy uh, Insect Warfare thing. We got uh, sludgy kind of atmospheric. Really digging it so far. Yeah, it's really cool. I like that. I like when like people that were in like one kind of explore something else. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like I like, like like there was this wave of like when power electronic people were starting to do black metal records. Yeah. And like like about ten years ago, and there was some interesting, some really interesting shit comes out of that. Yeah, I, I think so. You know, uh, guys playing a band and they're they've exhausted whatever they want to put into that style and exactly. they do something else. So you know, this is a total change from that. And malignant altar, malignant altar. Yeah. All right. Retribution of jealous gods. Really letting the the riff breathe. Nice, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's always that's always a place. Nice classic style. Very like like that first riff, mortician like chugging the, like the guitar the sound. Yeah, like the drums a lot. Yeah, the drums are very catchy, very quick. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the drummer gives this uh, this band a lot of life. They kind of uh, play the riffs over and over again, uh-huh. uh, putting putting you in a trance. Yeah, slow, repetitive vibe to, to the riffs, but the drummer is. Uh, He's like in the pocket. He's he's you know he's keeping keeping everything uh, energetic in a way too. Yeah, definitely interesting. I mean, the songs are, you know, we got two two seven minute songs and one five minute song. So we're we're kind of good, yeah. dealing with that you know that that uh, churning kind of atmosphere. And then the vocals, it's got that deep reverb in it, and it's yeah just melting on top of the mix. Yeah, the mix is great too because the vocals don't get lost. Yeah, you, a little you hear uh, the worm phlegm kind of vibes. Mm. You guys ever heard worm phlegm? Mm, yeah, I'm not familiar yeah. with them actually. Yeah, it's good a, band. Yeah, a good little name. bit. Maybe I'm a bit off base. I'm probably off base. It's just an immediate comparison. That right, I'm thinking the, of the gut reaction. Yeah. I'm almost getting a somewhat of a, a vibe from uh, that band Cyanide uh, from Chicago, the oh, old school band that I love so yeah. much. Yeah. Just this slow, churning death metal, man. Purpose, purposefully slow. You know, it's it's great. I love it. This is cool shit, man. I gotta check this out for myself. Download it. Or like when Morbid Angel like does this. 
Yeah. Really ugly shit. Yes, know? when Morbid Angel stomps it out a little bit and gets slow. I always yeah. secretly wanted Morbid Angel to just do a whole album like that. Morbid Angel Sludge album. Yeah, yeah, just like a sludgy, gnarly. Domination might be the closest we get to that. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is cool, man. Malignant Altar. Yeah. Malignant Altar. Get out there. Check it out. Got here. Okay, uh, this isn't out yet. Uh, it might be out by the time the listeners hear this. We'll see. It's uh, coming out the 21st of June, 2019 on Profound Lore Records. Uh, it's a track from the new Abyssal. Abyssal uh, from the United Kingdom. They're going to have an album called uh, A Beacon in the Husk coming out. And uh, this new track, Dialogue. I like that title. Yeah, yeah. A Beacon in the Husk. Very interesting. Yeah, like Gives you something title. to think about. And uh, this new song, uh, Dialogue, it's uh, pretty long. I think it's about seven minutes long, and it was just put out on the... Um, looking it up on YouTube right now. It was put out on the Profound Lore YouTube channel uh, a few days ago, man. Really enjoyed this song. I've, I enjoy Abyssal. Uh, I got to go back and, and rediscover them, I feel like, because this song did so much for me when I first listened to it the other day. I've listened to it a bunch of times since. Um, really giving other dissonant bands a run for their money. Um... Their logo, too, is off the meat rack, man. Look at that logo. I love that <laughs> logo. But, uh, yeah, Abyssal from uh, from the United oh, yeah. Kingdom. I'm going to get into this. Man. They this have, uh, this is going to be, I think, what is it, their third or their fourth album? I think this is their fourth uh, album coming up. So there you can backtrack and get into this band. But this sounds, uh, I, I enjoy this mix maybe a little bit better than some other material they had. Um you can hear things a little clearly, and the way some of the more high-pitched uh, frequencies and high notes cut through uh, the, this this sonic wall that they create, man, and their their use of dissonant melody, everything is just beautiful. This is a beautiful piece of death metal that just doesn't stop, man. It keeps going. It's got me really excited for the rest of the album. Hmm. Good choice, man. This is good. Yeah, dude. I'm trying to share this with everybody. Apparently, I don't know. This is some sort of concept album, but it's broken up into uh, different parts. Recollection, discernment, descent. I'm loving how diverse Profound Lore is becoming. Like they're just like signing a lot of really interesting stuff. Yeah, dude. Going from like you know, going from like Pissgrave to you know Lingua Ignata and all this like really you know. I listened to a, a Lingua Ignata song today because I was unfamiliar and it was some of the weirdest stuff I've heard. I absolutely, I think she's yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Very. She interesting. did a she did a, a version of Jolene, the Dolly Parton song. It's like uh-huh. one of, it's was devastating recording I've heard all year it's just her and a piano but it's just oh my god like, yeah 
Yeah, uh, yeah, Jeez. Profound Lore winning, man. And um, that uh, Dreadnought. Dreadnought. I haven't checked that out. Really good. I, I highly recommend that, man. Yeah. The this, Pissgrave. I'm sure you, you, know, you guys have talked about Pissgrave a lot. Will gets into Pissgrave. Yeah. We have an episode coming out where we, where I talk about Pissgrave, and uh, they, they had to kind of pull me back. They had to physically hold me back from the microphone at one point. Yeah. I got, I we got, didn't know what he was fighting, but he was fighting something. I love Pissgrave. You Pissgrave. do? I, I, love, I, love, I love their choice of album art. And, I do, too. Uh, yeah, I like that it's like it's gross, but it's like there's something it's you still I still want to look at it for some reason. And it's classic. It brings me back to the the nineties when I was you know, when I first yeah, saw it. Yeah, it's the, interesting that Profound put something like that out. Exactly, yeah. man. But it speaks to that diversity you're talking about. Yeah. Dal Dalek, the uh, the hip hop group. Oh, fuck yeah, so much wonderful. interesting stuff on Profound Lore, man. And I, I say this obviously artificial brain is on Profound Lore, so I'm right, not trying right. to just you know, not trying to just jerk off my own mm-hmm. label or, you know, the label that signed my band or whatever, man, but Really, um, yeah, really interesting music coming out. They're killing it this year, and um, as an artist that that has to work on an album that's coming out on Profound Lore, very intimidating, man. <laughs> this fucking this new Abyssal is fucking kicking, I hope wasn't kicking too far ass. From the, I hope it wasn't too far from the mic on that last stuff. But, oh, you're fine. No, okay, no. cool. Nah, nah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll wrap it up in post, man. All right, but uh, yeah, man, th- this um, this new Abyssal is just one of uh, a lot of really incredible releases on Profound Lore Records having this year. Having a good year, man. Having a good year. Man. Yeah, let's hope they have a good year next year. And Artificial Brain doesn't tank the whole fucking run. Oh, oh, man. Fuck we'll, we'll, oh boy, fuck off. Come talking? on, what are you talking about? Come on. All right, so so yeah, so check out this new Abyssal, man. It's coming out in June. Um, and Profound Lore in general, man, you might want to just do a little homework on what they've been putting out lately. They got a lot of very interesting releases. I got. I have uh, the newest album from Diafejo from the Philippines. The name of the album is "I the Devil." It's uh, it's their I think it's, it's their fifth album. It just came out on Hell's Headbangers. Yeah, I'm just uh, I don't know. This just hits me. It just hits me right where I like to be hit. And uh, it's the it's like if kind of like a mix of like sadistic execution and nuclear death. But if those bands actually had access to production that could really fully. Because those bands probably, like, especially Nuclear Death, you know, they were around, like, the late 80s, early 90s. Like, there wasn't any frame of reference for what they were doing. Right. And so, but now there is. And it's like, but it still sounds fucking weird and deranged. And 
It's amazing. They've been around. This band's been around since like 1989, but they've just gotten like so much more unusual with every release. And uh, yeah, man, I just this is I strange, it. and I really yeah. dig it. Like a good. This is sitting right with me. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, I, I definitely want to uh, check check this out more and get more into this. Yeah. I, I remember uh, maybe 10 years ago or so, Paulo. Uh, introduced me to this band, and I remember a much rougher production, kind of blasting war metal type of thing going on. Yeah, well, they have that kind of image with the bu- if you look at. Yeah. I got the CD here, and they got like the bullet belts and you know the bandoliers and shit. But but this this sounds like yeah, something. Uh, yeah. yeah, this this sounds like a little more, a little more you could wrap your ears around, or at least for me, uh, you know this this. It's much style more here. like interesting than just yeah. being like oh, war metal or whatever. I got I got to check this out, man. This is cool. The cover art is pretty cool too. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna take a look at it. The bass lines are just. I love the bass lines on this. The, yeah, I'm, I'm. I'm trying to zone into those right now. There's something really weird. There's like um, the bass player's doing like. There's like melodic qualities to what he's doing, and it's not just. Right. Well, yeah, yeah, totally. It's breathing on its own. It's really, uh... This was produced, engineered, and mixed by Kurt Ballou at God City Studio. I know, and I usually fucking hate the way his records sound, but he got this right. He's finally getting good, because, like, he used to just mix everything as loud as humanly fucking possible, but now he's actually, like... Very tastefully, not a band I would imagine working with him. No, not yeah, yeah, I think he's branching. He seems like he might yeah. be branching out a little more instead of very you know, interesting. These instead guys... of just doing like that Converge record fifteen fucking times, <laughs> and you know, like ten years ago it seemed like that record was coming out every week. Yeah, well, you know, producers hit a stride where they produce a lot of yeah, people. Yeah, you know, that's marketing. And, yeah. Well, yeah, bands do ask for that too. You yeah, know? they're you know, they go in the studio. All we want this is the reference. Yeah, there was the whole Scott Burns thing in the '90s, and Ross more, Robinson. Yeah, yeah, and more recently, you had Joe Sincata, Full Force Studio, did like the Internal Bleeding record, Suffocation, Immortal Suffering, Dehumanized, uh, Cognitive, did the first Afterbirth album. You know that Colin Marston did uh, did a whole bunch of people. You know, what I mean, so these producers right, yeah. just developed followings and the sound that is kind of at the time very popular. This, the, but getting back to this Diafago, what, what an amazing uh, song this is. This is pretty interesting. It captures a lot of the chaos and insanity of some of their older work, but with a certain clarity, but that doesn't yeah, lose definitely. the rawness, you know? Yeah, it's, it's still like, just weird as fuck. <laughs> this is very interesting. I like this. Wow. Yeah. So uh, thanks yeah. for bringing this one in. This no is, problem, man. Great. I think it came out in March. I want to say March. It came out like in the spring. On Hell's on the uh, the Hell's Headbangers label. Yep, they put out the previous yeah. the previous record. Uh, into the Eye of Satan was the previous record. That's the album that really got me into them, mm-hmm. and that's another excellent fucking record. You want to check that out? Yeah, Hell's Headbangers has a lot of this really cool, uh, obscure kind of kind of under the you know just under the surface death metal. They also Hell's Headbangers. Very good chance that I could acquire a Diafago shirt in 4X if, <laughs> if they're on Hell's Headbangers records, man. Hell's Headbangers does have a big and tall section of their t-shirt stop, just for the good, listeners. Man. Highly recommended. There's probably another, re- I gotta say, it's another recommendation from uh, Rennie Resmini from Starkweather, because he's always recommending completely batshit stuff and insane, like, Polish technical stuff, stuff that's, like, way the fuck over my head half the time. Yeah. But, you know, the bass tone is just... I love the bass sound on this, yeah. Yeah. 
right, so Tom, you ready to go back in time? Yeah, let's do it. I didn't go that far back, but um, I did bring in something you you brought up a couple times before. Um, talking about the Goat Horror first couple albums. Oh, fuck you. Um, I brought in my personal favorite, which is Haunting Curse, which is where they kind of changed their sound a bit. What year was that one? That's 2006. Okay. I'm pretty sure I got. I'm pretty sure. Oh yeah, I have that one. Yeah, I, I like that album. Yeah, it's a really solid album. Um, Tom with the vinyl. Pay yeah. attention. Nice. Have to go through it. Uh, this is the the reissue with the, the the yellow vinyl. They reissued that one. Yeah. They, they still have a reissued like the first fucking record, <laughs> the demo or the awesome demo that they did. I'm a little mad because that. Well, that was on the first two records were on. Rot, rotten Records. Right, right. And there's something up with their publishing or distribution. Uh, I, I see. Okay. Uh, yeah, I couldn't find them on Google Music either. Like, uh, and I lost my old. I think drive, I yeah, so. I remember like when there was like the Eclipse a couple of years ago, or whatever. I wanted to post some of like Eclipse of Ages into Black, and I on my Facebook, and I couldn't find it. Yeah. And they're, I mean, they're not lost to obscurity. They're still out there, but like you know, no, not yeah, of as course. easy. Um, honestly, uh, I, I could find a couple singles on YouTube of. The first two albums, but you can't find the entire album. No, no, very strange. But anyway, so I brought in a haunting curse because it's a awesome goat horror album all the way through. Yeah, I like this album. Man. This is a, this is their first um, first album with Metal Blade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Produced by Eric Rutan, so it's you know it's gonna be relentless, just pounding. Yeah, as he does. Huge Sammy Duet fan. I love the way that guy plays guitar and chooses his progressions, not just doing the power chord all the time. That's um, why Lee had that beard, was because he was a big Sammy Duet fan. Yeah. <laughs> really? I didn't realize that. I, well, the first time I met Lee, I thought he was Sammy Duet. When I really? saw him at Loud as Fuck Fest at CBGB's <laughs> in 2003, that was the first time I ever like, came across him. I was like, yo, fucking Sammy Duet's here. Cool. <laughs> yes. I love his uh, uh, Ritual Killer. That's his, uh, that's his band, right? Yeah, that's I like yeah, that shit, too. Uh, yeah, Haunting Curse, just a uh, a killer album. And uh, yeah, man, I remember getting this. Yeah. I think yeah. this is the last album I got from them. I kind of like all fell off track with them, but I really did like this album a they, lot. They picked up something. I could understand people not getting into them as much after. I this. saw them live a couple times. They were still good live. I just wasn't like following them as much. I'm still a huge fan. I've I've listened to all their stuff, but there was like a big change in the writing style. It was like they almost adopted a little bit of this like '80s metal influence. Yeah, into, into this yeah. act, mm-hmm. I, and I think it works perfectly. Yeah, if anyone's a stickler for that, that's that's on them. I think they're a great band all around. Yeah, haunting. Well, Hurst, I mean, this all, you know Ben Falgaus. I gotta say, he's like one of the reasons I wanted to be a vocalist. Right, he's a soiling tremendous. Green and, yeah, soiling green and go and the and first gold horror record were tremendous for me. Mm-hmm. And also his lyrics and every you know. And also, I gotta say, his first his first band Paralysis. Remember Paralysis? I'm not familiar. That was his like. It was kind of like. Kind of Cannibal Corpse, but like with Lovecraftian influences. Cool. And that was before he, because Soylent Green's first singer was a gentleman by the name of Glenn Rambo. Mm-hmm. Rest in peace. That early Soylent, and he was that early Soylent Green shit's really good before Ben. But then Ben comes in, and that's all. That, I love all the Soylent Green stuff. That's like one of those bands I'm a total nerd for, and I know all the related stuff. And, yeah, um, amazing frontman. Yeah, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, uh, Sammy, amazing guitarist. Mm-hmm. They don't tour uh, with a rhythm guitarist. It's just Sammy up there, and um, I, uh, not every band can pull that off with just one guitar live, especially a riff uh, guitar-driven band like Goat Whore, man. But uh, I, I, just, I saw them on the on a boat with uh, I Hate God and Pig Destroyer awesome. and Strong Intention. That's I think sick. was on there. Yeah, he, yeah, like ten years ago. 
Sammy's rig live is just awesome, though. You know, he's yeah. got the he's got like the full stacks on both sides, and like he, his mix sounds awesome. Every time I've seen that, I've seen them like yeah. four or five times, and yeah. they always sound incredible. Yeah, Artificial Brain uh, a few years ago had the privilege of uh, opening up for Goat Whore uh, amongst other bands on a package tour, and I got to watch them, you know, every night pretty much, man. And just sound was always on point, performance was always on point. And they bring uh, a, a diehard legion of fans wherever they go, whoever they play with, oh, man. I think I've mentioned that before. I haven't heard this album in a long time, but since it came out, probably. But I liked it. I liked it. I brought in a uh, classic um, Long Island band, Neglect. Uh, I, I brought in this Four Years of Hate uh, double LP vinyl uh, that, uh, shout out to Tom Ander, my homeboy, uh, bought me for my birthday a few years back. So this, uh, this double uh, LP collection came out on CD and vinyl in 1996 from Gain Ground Records uh, in Germany. Um, and Neglect, it's it's a collection of a lot of Neglect releases. Uh, it's got um, their couple of demos, couple of seven inches. Uh, they did a split with Hatebreed, believe it or not, before Hatebreed was that big. That came out on Jamie Jamie Justice Stillborn label. Um, and they had the Four Years of Hate uh, double LP that I'm, that I own right now that I'm talking about. Uh, this is probably the best thing you want to get if you're going to buy a Neglect release because it has so much on it. There's also the Don Fury. Sessions uh, yeah. CD, that, yeah, yeah, that's, that one, yeah, that's really good, man. But this is just Don Fury, anything, man. His yeah, stuff, his stuff always sounded so great. Yeah, I, I mean, where do I start with neglect? Um, not all the members are from Huntington, but the singer, um, the iconic singer uh, Brian Zoid from Neglect was from Huntington. Attended Huntington High School a few years before I was there. The guy probably would have beat me up if I was there, man. But <laughs> but um, uh, there's all these iconic stories. You know, back when back when I was in high school, there used to be a lot of skinheads. Uh, not not Nazi skinheads, kind of just regular uh, tough guy skinheads, Fat, and, right, right. and and uh, and there was there was just a little bit more of a weird kind of dangerous hardcore scene on Long Island in general totally. back then. Oh yeah, totally. That shit, uh, sca- that shit kind of made me nervous because it was like yeah. these jock looking dudes, but they were into this really like scary sound of music. Like I loved the music, but yeah, I was like I had hair down to my tits and I was wearing like <laughs> Morbid Angel t-shirts and. Yeah, no, straight up, those guys, the skinheads and a lot of the hardcore kids, the older kids used to, like, fuck with me and some of my friends in Huntington, man, and, and, uh... They were afraid of me, though, so it was, like, right back, they they thought I was, like, you know... Well, after Columbine, kids like us, they kind of looked at us a little different, you know what I mean? (laughs) It's true. I was just like, bro, don't flatter yourself, I'm not... I I mean, my parents pay attention, they're gonna notice if I'm, like, 
yeah. if I got a, if I've yeah. got like a Frank Castle armory in my room. You know? Yeah, and I was just like, I'm just trying to get out of this high school to, to play yeah, death man, metal I knew it was one like day. Bullshit. I just but the day after Columbine, my art teacher said, "Oh, I thought you'd, I figured you'd have a trench coat on today," and I was like, "Oh, too soon." Oh God, I got so <laughs> many. Like, your, yeah. your art teacher said that. My art teacher, yeah, art yeah, my teachers too. Like, yeah. you're like, like, is a not, is not a, a student. Is yeah. a really oh yeah, the teachers gave me shit too, man. Yeah, my teachers gave me a lot of shit. I gave them a lot of shit. But getting back to neglect, man. Um, really brutal. I guess you could call this deathcore, but it has nothing to do with what deathcore means now. Um, back in the day, this was just brutal New York hardcore. Uh, the guy's lyrics were mainly about killing himself or killing other people. Yeah, it was just like per like introspective, yeah, personal stuff. Ways yeah. that society has failed, darker parts of life, but mainly just killing himself. Yeah, they were. every fucking song. Um, and the the musicianship. Uh, off the fucking meat rack here. Um, that we were just talking before that the drummer is John, who people might also know from Mind Over Matter. Yeah, and death, and he was in Death Cycle. And Death Cycle. Uh, and on Hyron, Hyron uh, Gamaldi. Yeah, and, and and Derek on guitars uh, was also in Arkham. Right. Uh, Ar- a few yeah, other Long Island Arkham. hardcore bands. Um, but but this band Neglect is just holds a special place in a lot of people's hearts, especially on Long Island, man. Lee Lee was almost in Arkham. Really? He was almost in okay. Arkham. He's almost the bass player. All right, so there's there's another connection, mm-hmm. man. Uh, I, what can I say, man? There, there wasn't much like this band. I don't think there ever will be because the musicians, the combination of like really blunt, street level gutter uh hardcore and and the lyricism and the delivery and in the scene they were involved in and the legacy they left the violence at the shows and all that type of shit but combined with this musicianship that you hear particularly with the rhythm section and the metal influenced guitar work and writing totally uh this band was just one of a kind though there's since there has never been anything like them and there never will be man um really catchy music technical in a way uh, innovative, not your typical New York hardcore no, band. Not at all. Yeah, not at all. Influenced, I think, with the mindset of your sheer terror, your your crumb, your crumb suckers, They're your, like your she- chromags. Yeah, like sheer terror, but like less like sardonic. Like they didn't have that. Like sheer, sheer terror always had kind of like a little bit of a sense of humor. Like, no, this was this guy. This lost guy, it. no man. This was like sheer terror yeah. without the humor. This was like no. Fuck yeah, you, I want to die. Like, the, there was an infamous stories about Brian from Neglect chasing some kid around Huntington Village with an axe. And, all these, all this crazy shit that used to go on in the in the, the Long Island hardcore scene, man. But um, just a legendary band. And in this era now, where there's so much death metal influenced hardcore coming out, I think this is an interesting band to go back to because uh, they they weren't like listening to death metal and trying to in, 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 in integrate it into hardcore. They were just a brutal fucking hardcore band. Uh, they they meant it and. Um, you know what more can you say, man? It, it's it's like an iconic band around here on Long Island, and in this era, I think more people should check it out, man. Try to watch the game, never listen to me. 
What do you got, Nick? For the old, I got this band, uh, Karish. Spelled K-O-R-E-I-S-C-H. The name of the album is This Decaying Schizophrenic Christ Complex. It came out in 1999 from uh, on Screams of Salvation. They're an English band. This is the only album they ever did. And uh, if you're into shit like... You know, I know Full of Hell just put out a new record. If you guys... I know there's a lot of you... If you're into Full of Hell or a Fed Ash from upstate New York or Endin from Japan or the kind of Endless Blockade extended universe, this shit's for you, man. This is like... It's just... It's caustic and it's noisy it's that mix of grind and black metal, and it's it's totally like what I wanted a communion full length to sound like, and sure. you know, everything from like the artwork too. It's just it's that deranged like 1990s comic book artwork from like shit like Dave McKeon, Bill Sankovich. This uh, artwork is really disturbing. Yeah, it's that kind of you know it's and the lyrics are these kind of you know very like automatic fragment kind of stuff. And opening with the theme from Eraserhead. It takes a minute, guys. But, like, you know, it looks like the artwork looks like graphic design from a serial killer in 1998 or something. It's, it just looks like a murder, somebody's murder journal, if you want to get it passed around. And It's just, yeah, so. They're like, and they're not a band I ever hear people mention. You know, I mentioned those bands like Full of Hell and Fed Ash. I'm sure, I don't know if they've ever actually heard this band. It's probably because people don't know how to pronounce the name. Yeah, it's, I thought it was, I thought it was, you know, Koresh, like David Koresh. Yeah. But it's, I, I, I'm pretty sure it's pronounced Karish. That's like the closest approximation I can get. Uh, this album's actually pretty easy to find. It's on, it's on Discogs. It's affordable. It's not one of these like super expensive, you know, rare releases that you find on Discogs. You can find it pretty cheap. I just love those, like, unhinged fucking vocals. That guitar sound is unreal. It reminds me of Black Mesa Absu. Yeah, I just, I, I, I remember how I found out about this album, but just, you know, one of my spelunkings into the underground, I guess. And just, it's one of those albums where I'm like, if people knew about this band, they would accuse the communion of ripping them off because it's kind <laughs> of the same vibe that we were trying to go for. Get a uh hide your inspiration sometimes. <laughs> I actually only got into them like of like about a few years. It was well into the communion before I discovered them. Uh, so like I wish I was that cool. I wish I was listening to this in nineteen ninety nine when it came out when I was sixteen, but no, I'm not that cool. Yeah, ninety nine. Hard to picture this in ninety nine. Yeah, I mean I can't I can't imagine it. I mean I'm, I'm sure most people didn't hear it in nineteen ninety nine. Most people haven't heard it now, but yeah. I believe, like, members of this band still do stuff. I think Screams for Salvation still, like, put stuff out. They still put out really weird records that nobody's ever heard. But this is, this is, the, only, this is the only album this band ever did. It's pretty nuts, man. Yeah. yeah. I'm, like, kind of unsettled right now. <laughs> <you know? laughs> I, I really like the, the, the way the guitars and the drums, but the, just that guitar kind of, like, controlled wall of sound distortion thing. Some obviously strange things going on with the production here. Yeah, I'm just a sucker for like really like nightmarish kind of stuff, like stuff that sounds like like it was made by people who are like genuinely disturbed and it's like a, it's like having a bad trip with excruciating terror playing or something. Like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like hallucinating, hallucinating 
while listening to more conventional grindcore. Kind of like zoned out while listening to this a bit. Yeah, this is weird, man. This is an interesting listen. Making me think of a past life. Uh, I'm definitely getting that, uh, like you said, a similar vibe to the communion. Kind of very dark, experimental, yeah, cin- totally. cinematic almost in a way. I mean, they're a lot like weirder than we were. You know, I think it's like every every time I think like, oh yeah, communion, we're so fucking weird. Nobody, <laughs> nobody's on our level. Nobody understands us. And I hear a record like this, and I'm like, Jesus, we're like we're fucking Green Day compared to this shit. <laughs> Wild man. And can we can we spell the name one more time for the listeners? Sure. Uh, K O R E I S C H. Huh. Karish, this decaying schizophrenic Christ complex. Decaying and schizophrenic—two words I would use to describe this. <laughs> yeah. It's like if you're into again, if you like you youngins out there that like full of hell and fed ash, check this shit out. It's for you. It's it's easy to find. On Discogs or maybe even Amazon, the Amazon Marketplace, you might find it for. Ne- I got it for like next to nothing years ago. Yeah, 20, there's a few 20, on Discogs right now. I just put one in my cart. Awesome, thank you. Twenty years ago, but uh, yeah, I really could hear this coming out today with this modern wave of kind of experimental oh, grindcore. Yeah, totally. and, oh, interesting, man. Like I said, all like the re- the endless blockade related bands, you know, like Column of Heaven and Intensive Care and mm-hmm. Black Iron Prison and all that kind of stuff. A lot of the stuff that Iron Lung, like Iron Lung, kind of puts out. Yeah. Oh, that guitar sound is so sick. It almost sounds like Adam's guitar tone from Anal Perth. <laughs> Nick Cassiopo, uh, formerly of the Long Island uh, band The Communion, was our guest tonight. Nick, thank you so much for stopping by. Thank you so much for inviting me. I had a great time. Yeah, this is a very engaging conversation. Oh, thank you. Got the history, man. Yeah, man. And um, just for people who are interested to backtrack and check out the music, I think we said it already, but that band camp uh, has a lot of Communion releases on it that it's people got can every, check yeah, out. Yeah, pretty much everything's on there. Uh, yeah. as, far as, I, as far as I know, everything's on there. Yeah, and uh, just again, uh, tell us uh, the publisher putting out your book and the name of your book, if you have a name. The already. publisher is Nihilism Revised, and the name of the book is Piecemeal. Piecemeal. So, if you're going back and checking out those communion uh, releases, check out some of the lyrics and song titles too, because you might be interested in that book. Um, very, something very uh, interesting and unusual. So, Nick, thank you so much. Good luck with the book. Very thank happy you. to hear that, and we appreciate you giving us the exclusive. Um, uh, and uh, that, that's about it, man. Anything else you want to add for anyone listening? No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All Love right. it. Heavy Hole Podcast. We're out. <laughs>